Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. <laughs> I'm eating a donut. I'm Stacey Graydon. I'm also eating a donut, I'm sure you <laughs> <laughs> And this week we're talking about Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest Hotel, which is currently, I think, at 195 on the list. Um, oh it came in, I think, in the top 100. It's since dropped down to around 200 and bounced back up since. It's currently the only Wes Anderson movie in the list, which is quite surprising. Um, there have been a number that have come in and, and gone out over the past couple of years. So, for example, Moonrise Kingdom, The Royal Tenenbaums, and Rushmore have all been on the list at one point or another. But at the moment... The Grand Budapest Hotel is the only entry there. How is the Royal Tenenbaums not in the top ten? Donut. I don't get it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really shocked by that. No longer eating a donut. We did a spit take while eating a donut. <laughs> but uh, no, so to join us to talk about this movie, we decided we asked two Andersonian experts um, to join us. Uh, Stacey. From, from the Andersonian Institute. Andersonian. <laughs> yeah, the AI, if you will. Yes. Um, but uh, Stacey Grattan, who was on talking to us about Three Billboards mm-hmm. uh, back in January, um, mm-hmm. who this month, I think, wrote uh, an article in Cineron. Yes, about Wes Anderson. Uh, which is very, very good. Um, I saw a preview of it. It should be available by the time this podcast out, so I'll include a link in the show notes. And Charlene, who uh, programs at the Lighthouse, and every time there's a Wes Anderson film, you program a season celebrating his work generally, I think. Well, we actually just did our first Wes Anderson season oh. this year. But we tend to just play Wes Anderson films anytime we have an opportunity. And um, whenever he has a new film, we have a massive Wes Anderson party. Ah, okay. That's what I was thinking. Where we ask people to dress up as their favourite Wes Anderson character. And you'd be surprised. Oh, yeah. They're, like everyone dresses up it's amazing there, there's like I think on the in like when we when you go down and watch a movie one of the the lighthouse membership pictures is everybody dressed as Max from Rushmore yeah um, so it is, it's striking it's amazing there's, it's it's actually phenomenally easy to get people to just we're, I mean we rely on everybody just dressing up but like you're always afraid no one's going to show up or you know whatever Fair. but they're just that can be a difficult one because I I went to one of those I believe it's the Sugar Club they did a screening of um, Pulp Fiction these are your competitors (laughs) 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 it is a zero sum game remember that (laughs) the person um, I I, I went with was, was dressed as Mia Wallace and was it like a fantastic costume? I tried to uh, dress as what's Quentin Tarantino's character in that with the and it was a with very coffee and the very the straightforward oh, yeah. costume. I I already had a coffee mug, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I could not find was was a dressing gown because of the infantilization of our culture. <laughs> you can you can only buy a onesie now. In 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 pennies. Um, so so yeah, she, uh, she was the only person at the screening who who had dressed in costume. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Danger. I've been there. I thought been you were there. about to say that everybody. Was no one. Us. No one. So yeah, if you want like uh, a proper um, costumed. Uh, team screening. I think you uh, you need to I think the br- yeah. to go to the lighthouse. <laughs> we accept burn on sugar club. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's actually it's funny because we do have a bit of reputation for that to the point where like sometimes people just do it. So there's a theme dress. <laughs> Never told all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to theme dress where I can in general. Like I just like to. So if it's a film opening that I. You know, I feel like I have an outfit that would suit it. I would do that. So I feel like that's filtered into our audience <laughs> over time, over like the five or six years we've been open. 
And you did the uh, a Wes Anderson party before Isle of Dogs, didn't yeah. you? This year, and did people dress up for that? Yeah, there were there a lot like, of Grand Budapest costumes, or a lot of Grand Budapest costumes, mm. a lot of Moonrise Kingdom costumes, oh. actually, which I I wasn't. Yeah, there was a, yeah. there was two late two girls dressed as ravens. Mm. So oh, you know, oh <laughs> for the Isle of Dogs uh, costumes, was it a difficulty <laughs> when you opened the door to try and prevent actual dogs from running in versus people dressed as dogs? You did also Nobody have a dog, a dog themed screening. <laughs> we did have dog themed screenings, um, which was our first time doing it. And we were like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dog. Should we do this? And then we were like, Becca, let's just do one. And uh, so we were like, we'll only allow 30 dogs in a 100 seater screen, mm-hmm. um, which worked really, really well. I and mean, people were pretty much just furious with us because they couldn't get tickets. So we <laughs> did a few more. Um, I think That's I think rough. it ended up trailing. Oh, they were. <laughs> were, they, were they barking on abandoned on Twitter? Eh, they, they were. barking mad. <laughs> barking mad, but uh, yeah. So we kind of tend to uh, get as creative as we can with Wes Anderson stuff because it's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Wes Anderson beer for the first time. Which oh wow! Is it we, branded? Yeah, well, branded How? with the artwork that we had ah, for okay. the season. Um, so it was just. And let's go mad. <laughs> I mean, since this is the only Wes Anderson film on the 250, and since both of you are big Wes Anderson fans, I guess that's incredible. It, it is a little surprised. bit surprising. Mm. Um, so, thought I'd ask, what is it about Wes Anderson that sort of jumps out at you guys? That just as a director, what is it that sort of grabs you, and what is it that interests you about his work? I'll let you start. Uh, <laughs> start? Ooh, that was very okay. gracious. <laughs> you. you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people talk about the style, right? That he is this great stylist, that there's a very particular aesthetic that you associate with a, with a Wes Anderson film. And I do enjoy that. People will accuse him of being style over substance, which I don't think is true. And that's in part what my article is going to be about in Sinair this month. But uh, I think it started out as being kind of drawn to, oh, he creates these very distinct, identifiable characters, this very distinct, identifiable world. And sort of draws you in by making things look very neat, very presentable, very aesthetically appealing, very stylish, um, very fun. And then sort of goes deeper with it, like sort sort of goes beyond the sort of character, caricature type characters, I guess, in his films to get at something deeper, something more kind of universal. And yeah, that's that's part of it for me would be just his films are deceptively beautiful. And then you go below and there's there's so much more to them, I think. I'd agree with that. Mm. I think he's he's quite a warm filmmaker, which I think yes. is nice. Mm-hmm. He's I mean, I know there's like that kind of um there's a there's a, a bite to his sense of humor. Um that's mm. not an Isle of Dogs pun. Uh, but there is <laughs> <laughs> But like it's always about humanity. Like I really mm. do like that about him. I mm. also think he's a phenomenal storyteller. Like I think yeah. he's just really good at telling stories. Mm. And you know, he's obviously beautiful film like they're gorgeous yes. looking. Um, and it, he has his own sense of style, but I think some filmmakers can, who have that kind of style um, associated with them can kind of get dragged down in that. But I think he pushes himself further and further and further. Mm. I totally get people who say they can't stomach Wes Anderson films. <laughs> I actually find it hard to argue with them. I'd just be like, you know, that's fair enough. But I just think, I think he's a really gorgeous filmmaker. I found out recently he's a Mormon, oh, which I thought was really, really interesting because there is something about well, from what I know of Mormon people, that they're quite, like, kind and open folks. And it's just made, it made some kind of sense to me, actually. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I've never really thought of a spiritual dimension in his work at all. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting to hear it that. Is. I didn't yeah. know that about him. I didn't yeah. either, just mm. recently. Yeah, that's that action. I was like, How Mormon is he? Is he Mormon in the sense that like some of us are Catholics? Or, or, or is he... I guess of... I don't know the answer to that. And like he's not one for talking a lot about no. anything. Um, he, he's, he doesn't get interviewed an awful lot. Um, so I'm, I can't answer that question. But what I think it's interesting to see that sensibility, I feel, in his work. Yeah. Um, it just kind of clicked with me. But like I don't know that he is extremely practicing or anything but I suppose even being raised in that environment might have a little rub off you know I'm I'm I always do enjoy the um surprising biographical uh details one like not 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 just about Wes Anderson but in general the the, um I I think one of my favorites is that Richard Nixon was a Quaker he was a member of the Society of Friends. Oh yeah, well, I mean that's are, a huge part of uh, of Oliver Stone's Nixon, mm, which is fantastic. I if you haven't watched that. it, it's mm. it's really good. Yeah. yeah, but like generally, people who are familiar with Richard Nixon, and then people who are also familiar with um, the Society of Friends or or, or Quakers or, or however you know them, are surprised at the overlap <laughs> and intersection. <laughs> So yeah, the the it's 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 interesting, I guess, on the other on the other side that it kind of it makes sense, I think, in a way that that Wes Anderson is Mormon. I don't know what that says about our own sort of, um, prejudices or free assumptions. <laughs> yeah, every 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 Mormon Isn't I've met could have been in a, a Wes Mormon? Anderson. Uh, Isn't Mitt Romney also a Mormon? I'm trying to imagine the intersection between the two there. Um, well dressed. Yeah, very very nice. Yeah. His well, family photo looks like a cast of uh, <laughs> Wes oh, Anderson movie. Appeals uh, to hipsters. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth noting, interestingly enough, as like Grand Budapest Hotel being the only Wes Anderson film currently on the list, Isle of Dogs doesn't have enough votes yet. It looks like it might possibly make it. Um, but it is interesting that it's his most recent film that happens to have made the list. And just as somebody who's watched a bunch of Wes Anderson films, actually, I'm kind of curious what you guys think about this. But it's been interesting watch his, watching his style sort of develop almost over time in that I feel that, say, interestingly enough, the Fantastic Mr. Fox would arguably be a pivot point almost, where you can see that all his films before then had obviously been hyper-stylized, uh, you know, The Life Aquatic, The Wild Tenenbaums, even Rushmore, for example. Mm-hmm. But... With the Fantastic Mr. Fox and then Moonrise Kingdom and then this, which are interesting, like I would argue each of those are the best film that he'd made to that point. Mm. There's a sense almost that he isn't filming in the real world with an Andersonian sensibility anymore. He's more filming inside Max's play from the climax of the of the original sort of Rushmore. Yeah, in the Serpico play or... Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Vietnam one. I love maybe. those plays. Yeah, yeah. But there's a sense that like he's he's very much embraced his sort of a stylistic sensibility that was always there, that you could always see most obviously in The Life Aquatic and so like the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Like, I think one of my favourite criticisms of the Royal Tenenbaums comes from an old friend who basically made the point that uh, she would have liked it much better if the entire film looked like the primary cast dressed. And it feels like Anderson's reached the point where his films look like the primary cast of the Royal Tenenbaums dress. Yeah. And I like that because it feels like he's more comfortable now than he was. And maybe it's because he has a bigger budget. Maybe it's because he has more trust in auteur. But it feels like his more recent films are like 100% pure uncut. And Gung ho. The, like, yeah. I think the, that sort of uh, level of stylistic confidence 
can uh, lend towards people criticizing on the grounds that you mentioned, Stacey, of, mm. of being all style and no substance. But I'd agree with you as well mm. that there is a lot of substance. And that if, if people if people are so blinded by the style of, of, of his movies and are missing the, the substantial parts of it, then they're not l- looking closely enough. I think um, I, it, it's it, the the whole kind of like all style and no substance seems more like a hot take that somebody would kind of it, it, um, sort of uh, very quickly draw if looking at these movies rather than a, a more kind of measured um, view 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 of them. In in in, in my opinion, Mike, I would agree with that, and I think that each of his films has something, and it it feels like they're very personal things to him. They're all quite different, yeah. but they're not. There's something that would be very important to a certain pair of eyes watching that film. So like something like Fantastic Mr. Fox is about like settling down and domesticity and we're all wild animals and all that sort of stuff. And it's so simple and so beautiful. The Royal Tenenbaums is just about like families and how we relate to each other. And I guess the Grand Budapest Hotel harkens back to like doing things right. And, you know, all these kind of vintage sort of ideas and, there's a lot in that. Oh, there's a lot more in that, actually, and I'm sure we'll get into discussing all that. Oh, but, we will. Darren is going to pose a very kind of vague and deep question to on the other side I of the spoiler zone. I hate that. I'm just, I have to go. <laughs> it, it, it reminds uh, people of the Monty Python summarize uh, Bruce's Alishersh de Tomperdue in 30 seconds or less. Um, wait. So you have to look, that to look forward to. I feel like we should have been given that question. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. going to flip a Some coin and see questions. which one of you has the pleasure. But yeah, well, it is, it is kind of interesting that you mention all style and no substance because mm-hmm. Anderson is a very fastidious director. He's very meticulous. Mm-hmm. He's very much perhaps a formalist, a stylist. Like his, his compositions tend to be very meticulously framed. There's a lot of symmetry in there. There's a, a really good joke that I quite like, which is like, at the moment that he started making Fantastic Mr. Fox, he stopped his characters from moving diagonally. The characters in Wes Anderson films are effectively rooks on a chessboard. They either move forward towards the camera or side across. And I mean, even in this film, there are several points where characters like move diagonally, but only when they're off screen so that they can come in and move left to right when they're on screen. Uh, but he's very precise. He is. He's very precise mm-hmm. and he's very exacting in the style of, say, Kubrick or, or the other Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm. But what I find interesting about Wes Anderson is that within that very rigid, very meticulous, very exacting formal structure, there's always a lot of heart. There's always a lot of warmth there yeah. that you don't necessarily get with Kubrick. And I mean, and, mm-hmm. oh, sorry. Um, and, and 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 I think there's also, as as well as all of the warmth, there's a real honesty about all of kind of human foibles and uh, sort of weaknesses. There are, there are all all of these. Like you're 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 not getting these um, these unrealistically um, well you 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 do so in 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 these movies have the occasional um, character who who is without uh, fault and 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 a, a ideal human being but you also have these heroes who are um, very very flawed mm-hmm. um, which 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 I guess kind of. I, I, I suppose kind of supports the warmth of these movies yeah. because it would be a very kind of um, shallow point to make that the world is a is a great place full of warm, beautiful people. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's if, if, yeah, it's an acceptance of 
human weakness. Yeah. It, it's but it's not it's non judgmental. Yeah. It's like look at all these characters we're having loads of fun with. Um, some of them are a total disaster. Some of them are lovely, but like most of them are very flawed. I mean, I, I yeah. you know even uh, Mrs. Ethelin Tenenbaum, who's kind of one of the most perfect characters. Like she's mm-hmm. weak. She's got her weaknesses, and I think he he likes to draw attention to that, but in a in a warm way and just like exploring humanity yeah and it is warm and i really like that about his films and there's not enough lovely films out there <laughs> it's true yeah i love lovely films <laughs> it's like i i think and people even even if a person was to see this as all style and no substance it's delightful <laughs> and exactly. like what's uh what's wrong, with, that? What's like, wrong <laughs> with you um you know i i think what they mean more is that they want like, I don't see Nicholas winning Raffin being criticised for being all style and no substance. I did. I would, yeah. That would be a very frequent criticism. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I, okay, I wouldn't go quite that far, but okay. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's fairer than it fair. is in this case. Well, I, yeah. I remember thinking that when watching his movie, his movies, but thinking that, like, well, this is the kind of all style and no substance that people are just going to eat up. Because it's so bleak. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, like, you can't admit to not liking it for fear of being branded a complete Philistine. It's like, you just don't get it, man. You just don't get it. That's the argument with with Wendy Graffin. It's like, oh, no, it's gone beyond your head. There is no humanity in this slaughterhouse. That was once known, yeah. But, I mean, I suppose the difference is that uh, some people see depth as darkness. So, like, it it isn't, like, Wes Anderson's world is not full of darkness. There's little bits of darkness, but... Mm -hmm. Um, I suppose it, just to compare with the ref and like it, it, his world is so bleak. <laughs> um, but like a lot of people connect to that and go like, well, that means something more than like the lovely world of Wes Anderson, where he's not trying to show you something horrible about humanity. He's trying to make you accept humanity as a little bit flawed. But like some people, the, those style over substance people maybe don't want to put words in their mouths. Just might not take him seriously because he's kind of lovely. Yeah, his philosophies are nice. True art is dark. Yeah, <laughs> the dark, the dark kind of twisted evil characters in Wes Anderson movies are are still hel- hilarious. Um, <laughs> he likes that. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. like that. From the Willem Dafoe character. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I love Wes Anderson's description of trying to make Willem Dafoe look threatening because it looks like <laughs> because when you meet him in real life, you can put him in your pocket. Apparently, is how oh. Anderson. Apparently, <laughs> he's much closer to the Florida Project, Willem Dafoe, oh. than to Whittle Dafoe. No. <laughs> is that in the 250 Florida Project? No, it oh, missed out. Can't wait to swoon over Willem Dafoe someday. I really that wanted one. to see that, so it's a shame it wasn't. And it was one of those movies that I have, still haven't gotten a chance to see uh, in the list of. Uh, movies that are better than the 250 that didn't get it. Sorry. Um, um, Dan, because Andrew Dan doesn't Pot watch has, any movies that yeah. aren't on no, the list. No, no. How do you have time? I, 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 I watched, uh, what, what did I see? Um, the Phantom Thread, uh, which, mm. which, which wasn't on the 250. And I saw Isle of Dogs, which wasn't on the 250. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> um, and, and Robocop, which was only on for a short time. And completely unverifiably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robo comes out over two fifty. I know that's the crazy thing. That's that's the insane thing. But let's let's talk a little bit about Grand Budapest Hotel then, right? So I, we typically ask when we're discussing a film, like, do you remember the first time you saw it? Now the issue with this is it's a relatively recent film, so I imagine you guys do. But when did you first see the Grand Budapest Hotel, and was it love at first sight? I saw it um, in the lighthouse at midnight. 
after working from nine o'clock that morning, and when I say working, I mean literally like cutting out decorations. Oh, and no. <laughs> yeah, it was mental. <laughs> it was a really long day, so I watched it Baking at midnight. Baking pastries, uh, making pastries, <laughs> hiding filmmaking tools yeah. inside, boxes. Yeah. Yeah. telling people you stand in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was mental. Um, so I was really tired, and I, I, but it was. I loved. It. I thought it was really nice, and I was a bit worried that I wouldn't be able to stay awake for it. But like I did, obviously. Um, but I watched it again, like a couple of days later, because I just thought it was great. I just, I loved it. I actually, it took me a bit by surprise because, I mean, the marketing campaign for it was really good, but it would have you believe it's just a confection. But like, I was quite surprised at all of the depth of storytelling that went on within it. And actually, every time I've revisited the Grand Budapest Hotel, I'm so impressed at like the little layers of storytelling that go on and it's so cute and it just it really works and it's very engaging so yeah it was love at first sight for mm-hmm. me oh, I was kind of the same I saw it at what was then JDIF um, and I have a very distinct memory actually of being slightly late getting there and <laughs> Uh, not being able to see a seat and asking some guy to move his coat so I could sit down. And he looked so, he got so mad at me and he was like very slowly <laughs> moving his stuff <laughs> off his chair. This is all <laughs> while staring at you rather than the film. It's like, this, yeah. And then I just heard someone go, there's one over here. I was like, oh, thank you so much. That was my Mr. Gustav. Like, <laughs> this, this podcast, part, part of the reason we do this is there to put people on blast. Yeah. So, yeah. If you were the guy who refused to move your coat calling you out you're on notice we see you I forgot that we're watching you right now Um, funnily enough I was actually at that screening you were as well you were that guy you were (laughs) my coat this is a film Colin in the air in in fairness he had booked that seat for his coat I did buy two tickets no it wasn't me it was like a coat and an umbrella and a newspaper and all this stuff and he was so neat about it well, that, no, then it clearly um, couldn't have made me because I don't read. Yeah, he's uh, Darren has written more books than he's read. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yeah, I had a really awkward moment where somebody asked me to sign something. I'm like, I don't know how to sign it. I like, wrote the book. <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard. But uh, yeah. But aside from that relative unpleasantness and um, it was it was wonderful yeah no I did I loved it immediately um, it, and sort of as Charlene was saying the marketing hadn't quite prepared me for how much was going on in the film and specifically how dark a film it is because you know it does get into some very interesting things and watching it again recently yeah there are certain things like the the approach of, of fascism mm. into Europe that sort of play very in a very interesting light now and yeah. uh, there's a one scene in particular I'm sure we'll get to this but right after uh, Zero breaks Gustav out of the prison and he yes, forgets yes. the perfume watching yes. that again recently I was kind of like wow is that uh, it's very pointed it's extremely pointed and very dark um, and uh, and it's not even it's not even like that that scene is where it bubbles to the surface but it plays throughout as well I mean we'll talk yeah, a bit yeah, we'll more talk more about it but, yeah. but uh, yeah when I saw it uh, yeah I loved it immediately but watching it again recently I think I've come to appreciate as, as you have said uh, that there's so much going on that sort yeah. of even years later plays in very interesting ways yeah yeah, yeah. I I've, I feel I feel like this watching has and it, it's maybe not a coincidence that we that we've just had donuts and have uh, French fancies in, in front of us, but it feels like a layer cake 
that also <laughs> contains all essential macro and micronutrients <laughs> and will not only uh, make you uh, very happy, but also make you cry. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so the, the, it, it, is, it is kind of a... Um, I understand that, that it, it, it comes in a lovely box and you think that it's confection, but you kind of bite into it and, and there, 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 there's... There's a cold, hard jailbreak <laughs> tool buried inside. There is, yes. yeah. 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 It's like, mm, it tastes a little bit like Nazis, this one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, there, there's, there's, there's bitter bits and there's, there's sour bits. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I loved it as well from first sight. I think mm-hmm. I, I saw it again during Jade, uh, mm-hmm. same screen as Stacey, apparently. Mm-hmm. But um, I also, it was one of those films, there's been a handful of films that I see at film festivals where you're seeing, you know, it was a Saturday afternoon, I believe. So mm-hmm. I was seeing five films that day. I would have been exhausted. There's a point where you're just sort of delirious. And there's a point where when you're watching a movie that's not good, you're like, I just want this to end. And I want it to be <laughs> over and I want to crawl. And it's not a bad movie. It's it's just like you are exhausted. You haven't got but, time for that. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're like <laughs> I, I could be this. watching something else instead of this Lifetime movie directed by Ingmar Bergman that you've shown <laughs> me, um, which is great. What was it? It was the the, da- the Butterfly and the Racer or something. Mm. Which, oh, that, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing because it starts out as like a, a heat homage slash outright theft and then morphs into a lifetime movie directed by Ingmar Bergman. Um, It's, you have to see it to to believe that it is happening. Uh, But occasionally during the film festival, you get stuff that is, is really magical because you're so exhausted and worn down and beaten. Mm -hmm. So for example, with uh, Cloud Atlas, which I think screened the last night on a Saturday in 2013, Mm -hmm. I was just delirious at the end of that. And I went in and it was literally just like ladle this directly into my brain. There More is no... deliriousness right yeah. in your face. Yeah. This feels like some sort of clockwork orange treatment where you have your eyes kind of like held open and you're being forced to watch things and you come out of it saying, I think I like Cloud Atlas now. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. But Warner Brothers uh, wanted you to be serious before they showed you that. That's it. We want to position at the end of like a six film really day need to wear them yeah. first yeah, yeah. 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 The, the testing has come back and uh, this guy liked our movie we're going to try it with the rest of the audience <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah so I mean and, and Grand Budapest Hotel was another one of those because mm-hmm. I was at that stage it was kind of it was Saturday it was a Saturday afternoon showing I'm a little bit wary of Saturday afternoon showings because they, they tend to occasionally be sort of aimed at an older demographic so they're a lot gentler mm-hmm. and stuff like that and this comes on and it looks like other Anderson films and you sort of, you expect it to be gentle and kind and confectionary. And as Andrew pointed out, you bite into it and it's like, oh my God, there are Nazis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they add flavor. Why but would it, you put that in a cake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like in Friends where the pages have stuck together in the recipe book. It's like, oh no, we put Nazis in the cake. <laughs> <laughs> How did this happen? Yeah, it's like the, the uh, oh, no, sorry, never mind. I was going to, I was going to talk about the, um, was it the Saturday Night Live Thing recently where they had the the actor who plays Black Panther and he's talking Chadwick Boseman yes yeah where they're doing Black Jeopardy and he, 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 he says like well they, they probably put raisins or something that doesn't belong in a potato salad in this potato salad so they're, 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 the Nazis are the raisins in this uh, potato salad. <laughs> sorry, sorry, that was a bit of a, a, a strange roundabout That's a reference. Route to, yeah. Yeah. People who've seen that um, on YouTube will be delighted. Yeah, they'll, they'll be like, I get, I get it. I understand what he's talking about. The only real question then left to ask is, well, first of all, 
do you think that it belongs on the top 250 movies of all time? So would it be on your own? Do you think it belongs on an objective list? And would you recommend that people go see it? Yes. <laughs> Sh- <laughs> Charlene going yes. out in the line there. It's like, yeah. yes. Yes. yes to all. Yeah, yes. I, I think 100% definitely deserves to be on the 250 best films of all time list, but um, I'm horrified at some of the things that are not on there. Mm. Yeah. Personally, that we've even just learned like, about today. It's not my favourite Wes Anderson film. Oh. I would say The oh, Royal yeah, Tenenbaums and is, yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox for me mm. beat that. Uh, that's just personal. I was amazed in the past few months talking so much about Wes Anderson, how varied people's favourite Wes Anderson yes. films are. People have yeah. very different personal, like no one ever argues about it because it's all grand, because yeah. it's lovely and it's Wes Anderson. But uh, but yeah, people have very different takes. But um, I, I would personally put The Royal Tenenbaums like in the top 10 mm. films ever I've made. ever seen in my life. Wow. I put Fantastic Mr. Fox not far behind it, to be very honest. Uh, but, uh, but I think that this it does deserve its place, but I would put those two ahead of it. Stacey uh, Charlene is my people because The Royal Tenenbaums <laughs> is my favourite Anderson film I love The Royal Tenenbaums so much um, I hadn't seen it for a while until I watched it again recently as I was writing about Wes Anderson I was like this holds up so well this is such a beautiful film and it's similar to The Grand Budapest in that there's a lot of different layers of mm. storytelling there's a lot of different relationships that are kind of teased out in it and uh, this idea of family and kind of belonging, this sense of belonging that I think yeah. is common to all Wes Anderson films. It's like the the protagonists, the central characters are somewhere where they feel like they may not belong or they are somewhere that they belong and they want to bring somebody else in there with them. Yeah. So yeah, The Royal Tenenbaums, I agree, should also be in the, the top 50. <laughs> it's terrible that it's not. Um, I, like that, I like that we basically turn this from, should the Grand Budapest Hotel be in? Should the Grand Budapest Hotel be in? Right, the Royal <laughs> Tenenbaums has got it. That's yeah, terrible. It's, it's an outrage. Yeah. Join us after yeah. the score zone. We talk about The Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> the Royal Tenenbaums. Bonus episode. The Royal Tenenbaums will have to wait until Taffin gets in first. <laughs> we can only campaign for one movie at a time yeah. okay. and you yeah. managed to vote it with Robocop we managed to get people to vote up Robocop <laughs> um, I'm going home now yeah. <laughs> starting the Royal Tenenbaums campaign we're not saying the Royal Tenenbaums is bad we're just saying that Taffin is better <laughs> no <laughs> Um, but yeah, I do think the Grand Budapest Hotel should be there absolutely um, while the Royal Tenenbaums is my personal favourite I'm I'm kind of on the on the sort of way of thinking that maybe the, the Grand Budapest Hotel might be his best film Although, um, are we talking like from a technical? From a technical, from sort of the maturity in which he sort of goes mm. through these relationships and tells a story, both in terms of how he shoots it, how he presents it, sort of visually, and sort of the exploration of the relationships of the characters of the themes um, in the film. And I mean, he is drawing a lot from his influences in this film. I think we can talk about yeah. that a little bit further. That this film is sort of an homage to a mentor like to your mentors like it's Zero's yeah. homage to Gustav and I think this is Anderson's homage to uh, all of the filmmakers that he is you yeah. know enthralled to like uh, Ernst Lubitsch or even Hitchcock in a way um, in this film so maybe Orson Welles Orson Welles absolutely yeah. um, all of the French New Wave filmmakers that uh, like Truffaut I think would be a key one for him and let's but... not forget James Bond and of course, James Bond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great movie maker. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite director, James Bond. Yeah. Um, Lewis Gilbert, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would recommend. I yeah, the Grand Budapest Hotel is a film I think I would recommend kind of wholeheartedly to anyone. Mm. I don't know that I would say that about all of Wes Anderson's films. Um, and you know, if you don't like Wes Anderson, you won't like the Grand Budapest Hotel. But of all of his films, I think it's the one that I would most 
confidently what? tell people to watch. Actually, this is the one I've had the most luck recommending yeah. to people, mm-hmm. actually, which is strange. Because my parents who... Like, Moonrise Kingdom, which is adorable, which is my favourite Wes Anderson film up until the point I saw this Wes Anderson film. Uh, I love I Darren's tone. <laughs> it's like... Cloud Atlas, which is great. And yeah. I recommended it to people. And they didn't like it. <laughs> Don't go around recommending it. Like, this is a different thing. You can like it, but you not recommend it to people. <laughs> It's fine if you like it, but don't ever tell people you like it. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Edit it out of the podcast if you can. Um, We did it for our cinema book club, and uh, just like it was a funny debate. (laughs) Why did you make me say that? Yeah, you say it like it wasn't a funny debate. You say it was like quite the opposite. It's just Um, me who liked it. Anyway, um, but there are two of us now. Uh, but uh, sorry, like sorry. Moonrise Kingdom, which I loved and was my favorite Wes Anderson film up until uh, this one, I recommended it to people. They were like, oh, it's, it's Wes Anderson-y. And then Grand Budapest Hotel, which I would show to my parents, who are great uh, and fantastic, but are not maybe the most cosmopolitan or adventurous of moviegoers. And they loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely adored yeah. it. It's, yeah. it's got I'm, a lot for people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, 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 I would be tempted to say that this is my favourite Wes Anderson movie. And I guess to compare it to Royal, Royal, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, um, Royal Tenenbaums, I think, as, as, as a few of us have said, is uh, a very, a very much kind of a, 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 well, it's an obvious thing to say, but a very family-centric movie. Mm. And this really isn't. This, yeah. this, this is like the, the, um, it, uh, the only kind of, um, almost representation of family we have is the the kind of mendacious kind of scheming mm. uh, uh, members of family mm. who are, who 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 are plotting to yeah. who murdered their the mother and are plotting. Darren will be asked to leave, uh, <laughs> and the, the jury is being sent out of the room. To, yeah, sorry. The, 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 Who um, may have done something horrible that spurred the plot, <laughs> or not, or not? Who knows? Who are uh, we to judge? Yeah, um, that that comment will <laughs> be stricken from the record. Yeah, yeah. For me, one of the most heartbreaking points in all of the Grand Budapest Hotel is when uh, Zero was being interviewed. Yes, and. Uh, he says, so what, if, what experience have you got? And mm. Zero says, well, I've done this, I've been here, I've been here. And he's like, experience zero. Yeah. yeah. And then, what's the next thing he asks? And uh, what education What education? Have? He was like, oh, well, he's like, uh, education zero. Reading and writing, mm. I've, okay, so zero. Education yeah. zero. Yeah, and then he says family, and then he says zero. Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Absolutely. You could argue and that it's a film the, about the absence of family. Yeah. Yeah. Or the found family as well, I would yeah. argue. In yeah, which, which, which is such a... Which makes it such a nice kind of complimentary um, or like companion piece to Royal Tenenbaums mm-hmm. because, because it, it says to people who are kind of um, as lonely as, as, as I suppose Zero is at the... Um, beginning and the end that 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 there are as, as which is, is the same given yeah. the structure of the film is yeah. As, yeah. <laughs> which 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 as you say darren is 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 this kind of idea of found family um and 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 of um kind of yeah f- fi- finding these people because you can choose your 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 friends well i can't like i'm stuck with you <laughs> but, but, but that's good <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> for at least another kind of uh, few hundred movies. <laughs> 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 um, it's like that tenacious D thing of like friends will be friends until the bitter end, as long as there's a record deal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I do like Andrew's observation that the Grand Budapest Hotel is basically a Fast and Furious movie once you strip the, you know, the hood off almost. <laughs> Except in like a 1960s Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah, family. Yeah, it's all and about Coronas. family. Yeah. Yeah, um, so you're saying Wes Anderson should direct the next Fast and Furious movie? I tell me so. you wouldn't Let's be there for that. Do it. Yeah. yeah. Is The Rock in it still? Like, <laughs> the waiting for those two to work together. I, I disagree. I don't want to see, I don't want to see stop motion muscle cars and I I think that would be so against That's it. Amazing. People would be, oh yeah, but people would be looking at it and it's like, well, it looks like it's fast, but that's forced perspective. And it's probably just a, like, like what, what's actually under the bonnet? Yeah. Um, I do like the idea that, yeah, the big, the big action set piece is like a little model car just tipping over and like paper flames coming out of it. Yeah. I do too. Yeah, people want to want to be able to soup up their cars like they wouldn't be able to do in, in, in a kind of, uh, in a Wes Anderson where uh, everything must be perfectly symmetrical yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like these things like the idea of uh, placing Wes Anderson into various scenarios yes. actually they're going back to Saturday Night Live again yes. there was a brilliant sketch a few years ago I, I wish I could remember the title of it but it was basically Edward Norton was hosting and he was playing Owen yes. Wilson in a horror movie directed by Wes Anderson <laughs> and it was called like the cottery of like Midnight Intruders the, or yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> it's so, perfect. so funny yeah. everyone YouTube that it was actually it's so funny and so perfect and I was it's just so good dying for Wes Anderson to make a horror film now <laughs> so it was like, uh, Wes Anderson's X-Men as well was one that sort of did the rounds two oh, years right. ago yeah. and it's, it's actually a weirdly perfect fit isn't, isn't there isn't there an, an actual kind of a movie or a movie project where Lars von Trier's mentor has or some uh, my five obstructions my housemate told me about this yeah where mm. where where his his mentor basically sends him out to make these movies that aren't really in his wheelhouse is yeah. that mm. yeah and it's it's giving him basically obstructions mm. to stop I can't remember the actual I have I've seen it actually the documentary um but it's yeah put, putting stuff in place so that it would stop him from being able to fall into his usual familiar routine yeah, yeah. very interesting yeah I obviously forget it all but so, it was interesting when I watched it <laughs> well, we could take that formula people have to go diagonally <laughs> this is the only restriction we're imposing yeah. on storyboards there are only out. bishops on the board yeah. <laughs> you have to play a game of chess yeah, yeah. Um, um, so yeah no I I'd, I'd put it on my 250 and I'd put it on D250 and keep it there. And I'd, I'd recommend people go watch it. All yeah. sorts of people, basically. Yeah. 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 If you don't enjoy this movie, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Do you say and, that often? I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're a very belligerent podcast. Um, we're very aggressive. We get right up in the listener's ears. If you don't like my recommendation, fight me. Yeah. <laughs> Come and find me. Yeah. Um, no, listeners, um, I, I would recommend, perhaps like more gently, myself like what Andrew's just saying. Like a Wes Anderson character would be the style in which I would recommend it. If it's your <laughs> cup of tea, you know. Well, no, I, I, I could be a Wes Anderson character as well. I, I could be... Um, the Willem the, Dafoe character. No, the, the um, lad from Rushmore. The, the, the really obnoxious, kind of um, opinionated uh, teenager. 
who, um, yeah, that's me now. <laughs> We've decided. Yeah. I, like, I like that the podcast has turned into I broke no dissension. <laughs> I broke no oh, dissension. Oh, we did dress up for the oh. podcast. Oh. Well, listeners can imagine that. Don't know that. Now they for the illusion. But anyway, so join us on the other side of the spoiler zone where we'll jump into talking a bit more depth about the film. If you haven't seen it already, please run out and see it. Uh, whether you choose to run Careful. straight ahead Careful, or from right to left. Um, your ob- choice. Observe traffic lights. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah d- don't, don't do yourself an injury on the way. Spoiler zone. So, Charlene, having thrown Stacy in front of the bus at the start of the podcast... <laughs> What is Grand Budapest Hotel about for you? Mm, okay. Um, we did talk about already the absence of family. Um, but there, I also feel like it's quite a personal project for Wes Anderson um, in that a lot of this is about the fastidiousness of certain characters and how it serves them, yeah. which I think is really nice. I love the character of Gustave. I think he's just... Fabulous, and also like really complicated, and mm. it's always yeah. really Darn. shady. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, super yes. shady. Just a little bit. Which like, I love this. Yes, I love that. I love that he's actually shady. Yeah. But like because you're seeing him through Zero's eyes, he's always just like, oh wow, he's amazing. He yeah. looks after all these women. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think and make sure to buy them only the lowest quality candles while getting himself <laughs> a really nice kind of chocolate. Oh, you're so nice. <laughs> fabulous though. I love it. Yeah. But like, there's something in it about um, kind of the servitude that these people, you know, enjoy because it's about serving people. For pleasure. Oh, God, that sounds awful. Lars von Troyer's Budapest Hotel. Lars von Troyer? And I leave it to everybody else to talk about how it's also about the rise of fascism, because mm. uh, I'm just not very good at talking about that sort of thing. Um, but I just think there is something about... Um, Wes Anderson as a filmmaker delivering what he delivers to audiences and how that ties into the running of a hotel over over time and how things change over time and how you have to change over time in order to survive and all of that. I think that's something in it that I always really related to and I find really moving in a weird way. This sort of old fashioned look at like service industry <laughs> as, a, as a work of art or as yeah. like a calling or as something I love to be it. proud of yeah, yeah I think it's wow. really beautiful yes. and, and nobody re- it's not cool to do that <laughs> I, you know. I, I really like the treatment of um Monsieur Gustave, isn't mm, it? Yeah, yeah, in in, in M, this, the in, M stands for yeah. Monsieur. Because uh, there's a kind of a um, in on 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 the one level you can look at it and think. Um, Gosh, what a what a um, he's 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 using these people, and it's a very kind of like. A, but I think the way the way it came across to me is a very kind of a sympathetic portrait, and it's kind of non-judgmental, and it sort of reminds me of when when you when you see kind of like uh, when society sees certain types of relationships, and they say, "Oh, that's uh, the the that's a little shady, or that's a little wrong." Where where, for example, um, like. Um, yeah, an older an older woman with a younger man. Mm-hmm. You, you 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 there's there's a, there's a kind of a um, assumed ageism where 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 you're kind of like, well, what is she doing? What is he doing? 
Whereas um, I suppose if you were to actually ask them, they may say something along the lines of, well, I, um, uh, I, 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 I absolutely adore my, my uh, Monsieur Gustav. And if you spoke to Monsieur Gustav, he would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, why? Oh, well, she's great in the sack. And, <laughs> um, Dynamite. And, uh, she's yeah. really thankful. I sleep with all of my friends. And, and I, yeah. do, I do hope to maybe inherit some of that, the great fortune that she, that she has. And in turn, I'm giving her a chance to feel young again. And, 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 and she's okay I like with that. Began, I like how you yeah. began as something very sweet. <laughs> and then sort of dissolved. This, this is like a relationship between consenting adults. I, I think everyone mm-hmm. seems to assume that they know better than, than these people because they're making choices that wouldn't, wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there, there, there is um, often a kind of an unspoken sort of um, dynamic between any two people where there is some sort of an inequality or an imbalance in some way or another, mm-hmm. um, and that 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 the two people just make work, and that and that happens whether whether it's a huge age disparity or whether there's like a small disparity in income or whether it, like where, whether there's the familiar disparity in 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 gender even. Mm-hmm. So like a, a relationship between a man and a woman is 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 going to have a certain amount of if um, uh, I suppose they're coming from different places, yeah, yeah, is 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 what I mean. So 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 that 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 I don't know what kind of point I'm trying to make, but I I, I like I like the way they I like the lens on um, Gustav and mm. and and it it never tried to sort of um, justify because he didn't need to justify it. To himself yeah, or to yeah. others. He, he, he was he very transparent. About, yeah, and, yeah. And I feel like as an audience, we're supposed to believe him. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're allowed to believe him. They give us that permission and that's nice. And if you choose not to believe him, then that, that's your problem. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do think it's very interesting that we see him from Zero's perspective. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the actual composition of this film, it's a frame within a frame within a frame. You know, yeah. we're hearing it from this author who heard it from Zero mm. and then Zero is telling his own experience. And then even literally, stuff. it's a frame within a frame within, within a frame. frame. <laughs> look at the yeah. way yeah. It, it looks on screen. It's amazing. Um, and, yeah, in this film, I'm inclined to believe that, uh, is it Mam Du Texies? Is that her name? The Tilda Swinton character? In fairness, she has a very long name. She's a very long name. <laughs> She's got initials all and over the place. And who was originally supposed to be Angela Lansbury, apparently. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> what? Yeah. And apparently, the, the makeup was, according to uh, Wes Anderson, the most expensive part of the film. Wow! Um, it was. A, it was. She it looks was, sensational. To she does. She looks. Yeah. It was a very different movie because she arrived and then somebody died immediately. If she died and it was a mystery, I suspect that, that was Anderson. That was the last episode yeah. of Murder She Wrote. I <laughs> 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 can say that, but I suspect that was exactly what Anderson would have been getting yeah. at, particularly given how like cheeky and sort of self-referential the whole film is like um the character who is played by Saoirse Ronan is called Agatha for yeah. example the story borrows liberally from Agatha Christie uh, sort oh, of mysteries oh, as well oh. so it's a very conscious uh, choice yeah. so I imagine casting Angela Lansbury as oh. the first person as in the movie victim. who dies yeah that would have would have been like yeah uh, would have been very kind of clever and in fitting in that sort of like huge cinematic frame of reference that we were yeah. talking about there and oh, she, she, she she um she doesn't die so much as is Angela Anthropomorphized into a teapot. Okay, sorry, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to combine all of the her Angela roles. Lansbury <laughs> shared universe, um, which is sadly an undercooked idea. But sorry, Stacey, we, we jumped all over. Sorry. Um, so 
Yes, so there's enough in the film to suggest that her family is kind of shady. But I do always think when I'm watching it, or maybe since the first time I watched it, maybe I didn't think it the first time, but, you know, because we're seeing it from Zero's perspective, do they seem like a more malignant, awful family? Like, we only see uh, Adrian Brody's sisters. They don't really have any lines of dialogue, but they're sort of wearing all black and they have this really spooky makeup on. And it's like, (laughs) is he kind of dramatizing them? He's like, oh yeah, and her family were terrible. They were evil. They were awful. I mean, they do have, they do hire this hitman who throws cats out the window. And And, and like cuts people's head off. Yes. Um, I like that the first thing, I like the first thing you did was like, he harmed a cat. How could you possibly relate to a person suffering? The cat suffering is much more yeah. <laughs> it's it's an amazing moment as well because it's so funny and then you, you sort you of take a minute and you're like no way he did he just threw the cat out the you get that, that Andersonian insert of the cat with blood all over the paper and yeah. the bag so shocking yeah and the bag that he's carried with the blood yeah. pooling in it um, contents one person cat disease yeah. <laughs> oh so sad yeah because you you, um, you get that gag and mm. then you get the, sh- the, the 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 sadness of it yeah yeah. yeah yeah yeah. it's like you get the laugh and then you're like oh oh yeah. <laughs> that's bad and there's a lot of that in this film but, yes absolutely yeah. but um yeah i do wonder because it's from zero's perspective that we are we we need to be conscious that it's from zero's perspective i think and i do always wonder you know is he slightly exaggerating how awful this family is uh is he you know slightly glamorizing monsieur gustav um because an argument for that no, yeah. he definitely exhibits a lot of you know qualities of what i might be tempted to call ma- toxic masculinity <laughs> you know he I- has this complicated relationship with women where he's he's arguably paying them more attention than their negligent families but uh, you know he's also, he's also swindling them out he's of their money he's swindling them out of their money if you want to go that you far he's like yeah. he's doing it not because he genuinely ha- has good feelings towards but them I mean, but because he wants money and he wants to spend money in his hotel I think there's a bit I, at the end where Zero summarises Gustav in the same way that he summarised Gustav's lovers early on we yes. talked about them being needy yes, and yeah. alone and there's a Which, sense there's a if, sense of exploitation. Yeah, that's it. If you yeah. wanted to be cynical, you could argue mm-hmm. that it is a mutually predatory relationship. Mm-hmm. In some yeah, way. I, I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be as cynical to say that he just wants money. No, no, I, I, no. I, I think he he's complicated. Yeah, he is, and he also wants money. He does also. <laughs> I, I, yeah. like, <laughs> that's best illustrated. Uh, Un, unlike the rest of us mm-hmm. who never want money ever. <laughs> <laughs> Our motives are pure. Yeah. Yeah. There, is, there is a very conscious thing where when he gets the letter from her in the room and he takes out the thousand kublets and uh-huh. he makes a point of telling Zero mm-hmm. that he got the thousand kublets and he's like yeah. you know, and then afterwards he's like oh you know when they die we should go to the reading the will you know maybe with a bit of luck she'll have left a couple of thousand kublets for us yeah. and then even yeah. there's the bit when uh, I think you were going to say with the painting well, yes where he's like I will keep it always it will remind me of, of her as it used to remind her of me and it's so valuable and important to me and then about ten seconds later he says Actually, I think we should sell it. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, he, he really isn't dwelling on that emotional but, connection. And, <laughs> I, actually, I think we should sell it. I think this is an interesting thing because <laughs> it comes up quite a bit in the film. And, and you alluded to it earlier. And mm. it's never really overtly mentioned outside of that one scene that you mentioned. Mm. But there's this recurring suggestion that the servant class, that's what Shalene mm. was talking about there, that they are largely transient and, and mm. migratory and they don't come from families and they don't have like an established grounding. Mm. And there's a sense that that's even true of, of Gustav himself. Where like, yeah. he projects Definitely. this image yeah. of being like cultured and sophisticated and, you know, of knowing everything that everybody wants before they know they want it and, you know, how you represent this establishment. And of belonging. And of belonging. Yeah. But you get throughout this constant recurring sense that Gustav is maybe 
as much an outsider or, or an immigrant or a migrant mm-hmm. in some ways as Zero is. So, for example, you know, like Zero asked him, you know, did you start as a lo- do you think I started as a lobby boy? And Zero's like, uh, actually, you probably had to start somewhere. And then yeah. later on, you find him answering the question, yes. Mm-hmm. You have the fact that his name is M. Gustav, and it's, pr- it's suggested that the M stands for Monsieur. You yeah. have the other servant who's played by Matthew, uh, how do you pronounce Amaric? it? Amaric. Amaric. Yeah. Amaric, Amaric. Whose name is. Who is like, fantastic, by the way. Who is yeah. great Very in a good. tiny role. Yeah. But it's, it's her name is X, Sergei X as if to suggest yeah, yeah. he doesn't actually have yeah. like a, a surname and you have this sort of bond the secret society of the keys mm-hmm. which suggests this whole sort of like underground movement of people who have been through the trenches together and, like, yeah, and yeah. the idea that like they work in a hotel which is itself for like upper class migrants mm-hmm. for people who are moving and working that, and I think yeah. it's very conscious that the film is playing with this idea of Gustav as somebody who doesn't have a family because Zero I think at one point says I, I never asked him about his family yeah. and you get a sense that he doesn't have one mm-hmm. and that so, sorry, no it, 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 it really spoke to me as a former um, staff member in, in a hotel. Because in, in, in a hotel, in, a, uh, in like a, a five-star um, or, or, or very expensive hotel, you're all of these kind of minimum wage mm-hmm. workers, often from like working class families, are not so well off that we don't have to work. Um, and from all parts of the world... Um, pretending to be these um, urbane, sophisticated kind of uh, people who know their wine and and can 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 be in the company of 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 of, of the richest uh, people who, who who deign to stay at your at your hotel. Institution. Yeah, and and, and there, there there's yeah, it, it really kind of um, I think it spoke to me um, on on that level and kind of reminded me of the sort of theatre of. Mm. of the hotel where mm. where that's a great phrase mm. yeah yeah where where you you're 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 dressed so that you don't kind of look out of place among all of these um furnishings almost. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean there's the thing where he's like a lobby boy is you know invisible but always inside mm. and all this yes. sort of stuff. yeah um and, and there's a there's a lot of that in there i mean even if you look at like his quarters where the only volume that he owns is uh you know it's a collection of romantic mm. poetry that yeah. he reads and sort of so he doesn't he's very poor yeah um, yeah uh, man and and generally people who 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 are born poor want to get rich. Yeah, and, um, and he's so very conscious like, of that throughout. Like, I mean, yeah. even when he's um, even when he's you know when they're going to the wake, mm-hmm. he's like, bring a bottle of the fancy champagne so yeah. we don't have to drink the cat mm-hmm. piss in the uh, in the culinary car. Mm-hmm. Like, he's very conscious of class, and yeah. I, the film seems to suggest that that maybe comes from. The fact that he himself wasn't originally yeah. that and, he is yeah. an immigrant of class at the very least. And that, oh, sorry. oh, sorry, sorry. Um, and uh, I guess the last thing to say on hotels is that's the great advantage as well of of working in that industry is getting to taste the finest food and stay at the best hotels and and drink the the kind of um, like sample the uh, champagne and and wines that you would never. Have a chance to 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 experience if if you didn't have a role that required it. Yeah, yeah. Which which is which 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 is in a way the perfect kind of um, position for somebody with with the, this kind of aspirational quality that uh, uh, yeah. Monsieur Gustave and and later Zero um, have. And meeting like meeting people from like the upper classes and yeah. engaging in conversation with them, and I guess it's a window into a world that you aspire to it's a kind of a Gatsby sort of um, yeah. situation almost mm. um, but yeah no, sorry um, 
And just when you mentioned the theater of the hotel, like I, mm-hmm. I wonder if there's an element of, and you mentioned Anderson sort of putting himself in the film in, in some respects. Like the way that we're introduced to Gustav is very much like a film director. He's, you know, he's making sure that everything's in yeah. place. He's checking that the, the documentation is correct. He's telling Zero to literally stand in the corner until yeah. I gesture for you to come here with the tickets. Mm-hmm. He's stage managing and he yeah. does that yeah. throughout as well. And I wonder if, like you're talking about this this idea of romance of like the, the servant class and like this idea of like presenting an experience, you know, more than just a yeah. physical four walls and a roof. And I wonder if there's an element of Anderson maybe seeing himself as a director in that in that you know there's a sense of like building an institution but also like enriching it and making it personal making it feel lived in and and sort of accessible another projectionist as well because he's kind of pulling open the curtain to check kind of like Mm. how the the um scene is going kind of um which 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 is interesting that is interesting shouting at a little boy why are you a little boy (laughs) (laughs) wrong movie (laughs) wrong movie (laughs) Um, there's something as well, I think, in um, just if you were to write a biography that you totally made up in your head of um, Gustav, um, what it is about, like, I guess, growing up or, you know, becoming a man in this environment and how he's used to getting money for providing services. So like anything that you could kind of accuse him of, I suppose, um, in terms of being when we were talking about the cynical way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a person who's like. You go above and beyond every single day of your life to make sure people are comfortable and happy, whatever that means, and they give you money for that. And that extends into emotional stuff because he doesn't have a family. And so therefore, the people he meets are his family. It just kind of, it gives him an interesting, um, there's an interesting psychological point to be made about him and how he views human interaction with each other in exchange for literal money yeah. mm. now to be, to be fair there is the wonderful scene where the, the countess is dead and even mm. though it, there's no money to be had in it he's still talking to her dead body as yeah. if she's a living mm. friend it's like I don't That's know what I don't cream they I don't think he doesn't <laughs> like these people I think it's I, almost like he doesn't really it's, it's like a, a way he's been Condition, yes. yeah, I, that like money is is what how we you know, it doesn't mean he yeah. doesn't like them or that he yeah. he's cynical about yeah. other people. Maybe it's like just in him rather than that he's act- actively seeking out people to give him money. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. that he hasn't really drawn the line between that kind of servitude that he you know yeah. s- fulfilling people's needs at the hotel kind of goes beyond. Well, when would he ever yeah. find when love does he that the doesn't line? involve yeah, he's money? Yeah, all of the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, he never had a. Fa- or maybe we don't know if he. Did yeah, that. but you know, like if he never had that, or like mm-hmm. maybe there's something to be said about just not understanding that love. Love can be given and received for freely. Other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's part like if you go to a four star hotel, you can you can get quite good food and drinks and like a nice room. But if if you want actual love, I'm talking about sexual love. Uh, sorry, from the staff, Andrew, you work you work at a five star hotel, right? I don't talk about that. No, uh, sorry. <laughs> those, NDAs, <laughs> those NDAs they had you sign were very little binding. Uh, changing topics swiftly. Um, I, I love his line because um, there's so many there's so many hilarious lines in this that that are put in Monsieur Gustave's uh, mouth. One of them is, um, and they kind of follow one after the other as if they're non sequiturs, but they, but they, but they make the the every line before and after more hilarious. Is um, he says, uh, you look better than you have in years. <laughs> you look alive. 
Which is hilarious. Cause <laughs> it's, it's like, because you look like a warmed up kind of bag of death <laughs> for that cream that they put on you which is magnificent I must get some yeah. Yeah. I want some <laughs> yeah I want some that's so funny but yeah there's, there's a lot of that a lot of really good banter and I remember when I first saw this being surprised by fines oh yeah I would say that he maybe gives his best performance ever in this I, film yes, yeah, and it is disgraceful I, that he did not win an Oscar and nom- I could go on about nominated this was not even Oscar. nominated that year it was it four is. people who were playing real people and Michael Keaton and <laughs> not Take this that person. Michael Keaton um, <laughs> so yeah. it just it, it just I, I could rant about this for 20 minutes yeah, and I won't. Do we have 20 minutes to rant about it? We have it in five. It's what the Oscars look for in like an Oscar-worthy yeah. performance. Uh, well, in I mean, that there's this prestige in playing a real person. Because Eddie Redmayne won that year for yeah, Stephen Hawking. Um, and then there's also this comeback narrative with Michael Keaton. Whereas Fines d- didn't even get nominated. And it's... But it's also, I think, because he's such a complicated, interesting character. And funny. If, if, and like, yeah. the, the so delivery of all those lines yeah. are just unreal. Like, he's it is brilliant. Nothing... Like, this is the guy from Schindler's List. <laughs> Which I actually, yeah, did like, think about watching it again recently in the final scene where the... Yeah. Death, the death squads squad. come into the it's train. Like, don't you know who I am? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he finally gets his comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> the shared universe. Um, and again, I don't think that's an unintentional... Again, no, you talk about yeah. like Anderson's casting. I mean, that and, and the casting of, of Ed Norton mm. as well. Like, yeah. I feel like yeah, there's a lot of self-awareness here. Mm. Yeah, the, yeah. the... the um, Oh, sorry, I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but, um, sorry. While so, building, while building your Ray Fiennes shared universe. No, what I, yes, what I was going to say okay. was, uh, sorry, Ray Fiennes doesn't surprise me anymore. There are so many things that that, that Ray Fiennes can do. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, 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 um, it, it, it's, it's uh, like if you were to go to a Ray Fiennes movie and see something he had never done and walk away from it thinking... Wow, Ray Fiennes can do other stuff. You kind of like, did you not get <laughs> from his other movies how much he, yeah, he can do? Yeah. Let's just accept that that he can do no wrong. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And when you hear him talking about playing Voldemort, he's like, mm. oh, it's fantastic fun. <laughs> <laughs> completely overact and ham it up. And yeah, I've, I've always said that my dream interview would be Ray Fiennes um, because I would love to ask him. And it, it, this is probably something he did not even think about at the time, about the hug in the final Harry Potter movie, where um, he approaches Draco Malfoy to hug him. And it's the most awkward movement you've ever seen. It's like, he doesn't know what a hug is. He sort of puts his <laughs> arms out and then... This is more difficult than it looks. Yeah, <laughs> what, what am I doing? He's like, oh, well done. And he's like... He's putting his arms in all sorts of weird... <laughs> angles to try and hug him and I'm like what, like was that you Ray Fine? was that David Yates like what is going on in this scene because yeah. it's truly beautiful super awkward you, yeah. you could ask the question in another way by trying to hug him at the end <laughs> show me yeah, with your arms yeah. how you did that how human beings interact with one another um, yes while we're talking about um Gustav, and while we're talking about like the idea of him as like a striver or somebody who who's an outsider, mm-hmm. and I mean it, the film sort of suggests that he has this reputation of maybe being gay or that he's bisexual. 
Um, and there's like there's a really great, funny, but also very dark exchange with Dimitri, mm. where Dimitri repeatedly refers to him drug, you know, in mm. a derogatory manner. The and, other F word. Yeah, the mm. other F word. And uh, there's a point where he goes, you know, if I ever found out you laid a finger on my mother, living or dead, <laughs> he's like, I thought I was an effing F word. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. you're bisexual. Um, That's really funny, yeah. But there's this sort of thing that runs through the film throughout, where there's like this air about Gustav where... There's a sense that maybe he's a, a libertine, maybe he is bisexual, because there's a point where when he's in prison and they go, we had a talk about you and we think you're a real straight guy. And he's like, well, nobody yeah. ever said that about me before. <laughs> um, and you do sort of wonder if he is meant to be, if he's meant to be gay. And that then ties into Zero's experience as a, as a refugee, because this is, we alluded to it early on uh, in the, you know, before we got to the spore zone. This is, is a movie in many ways about fascism, because it's a movie about Europe in the middle of the 20th century. Yeah. Mm. And it's very much a movie about othering and outsidering and sort of... The, the Budapest Hotel arguably is a metaphor for Europe. It's a glorious, decadent old ruin, mm, yeah. as they repeatedly refer to it. And how difficult it is to maintain the illusion yeah. of what it was um, after it's been ravaged and sort of devastated throughout mm. the second half of the 20th century. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's funny in the kind of canon of Wes Anderson movies in that it's a kind of an acceptable form of cultural appropriation where this is um, this kind of Zavravka which is somewhere in Eastern Europe yeah. and uh, and it's everywhere yeah um, well, it's the Czech Republic it's like the, Czech the, Republic. the um, deer sort of the deer statue on the mountaintop comes from the Czech Republic for example it's mulled on a hotel in Austria I believe yeah. the exterior is the interior I think was shot in Germany mm. so it's this very pan center yeah. kind of Eastern yeah. European aesthetic but it's not the sort of uh, yeah it's not it's not the Darjeeling to... limited no which no. we mostly avoid mm. in this discussion to date <laughs> yeah are well, like the same cri- cri- criticisms um ab- abounded uh, regarding Isle of Dogs as well yeah. but it, uh, the, the, it's 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 interesting to 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 I guess see the the, the way if um this 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 is a kind of a pan eastern european sort of um imaginary country yeah. versus like um uh, like it would, it, it, we would feel very uncomfortable, um, and I think it would, it would probably never be released if this was a kind of like somewhere in East Africa, yeah, um, or, yeah. or the Middle East, or the yeah. Far East, or mm-hmm. India, or wherever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, well, this is kind of okay. You kind of leapfrogged where I thought this discussion was going to go, so we'll just, <laughs> oh, really? we'll just jump right in there. Um, in that, yeah, Anderson has been accused of using race as a novelty in the Darjeeling Limited and Isle of Dogs and stuff. But one of the more interesting discussions about the Grand Budapest Hotel, and I feel like we'll come back to talking about Zero, because Zero is kind of a part of this. But it's what Stacy was talking about when this discussion of immigrants and refugees and mm. stuff. There's an argument to be made, and I'm not sure if I agree with it entirely, but, and which means you know it's going to be good. Um, but that the Grand Budapest Hotel is Wes Anderson's Holocaust film. Um, and it's that it belongs in the canon of directors who are not Jewish making movies about the Holocaust and doing it obliquely. So, for example, mm-hmm. Kubrick's The Shining, which is seen as his Holocaust movie because he, mm-hmm. he tried to make a Holocaust movie and then found that he couldn't. And so you get stuff in The Shining that is very overtly the genocide of the Native Americans, but also even the, the Holocaust in New York. You have Martin Scorsese, who was approached to direct Schindler's List, but felt that he couldn't, as a Roman Catholic, do justice to the story. But he came back to it in Shutter Island around the same time where you have the scenes in the concentration camp, but you have that likened yeah, yeah. to the, the like abuses of, of prisoners in other systems. Yeah. Um, and even here, like uh, Norman Eisen, the former U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic, has argued that this is... like. 
the the lightest and most accessible and most unexpected Holocaust film that he's ever seen. Jay Hoberman, who writes in, in Tablet Magazine, uh, was, was kind of a bit more biting in his, his critique of the film. He argued that Grand Budapest Hotel and the, the Immigrant, which came out around the same time, are films about Jews without featuring Jews. And he quotes Jean-Paul Sartre saying, the Jew is one whom other men consider a Jew, and so anti-Semitism can exist without Semites. So you can have a Holocaust movie that doesn't necessarily feature Jewish characters. And so you have this sense of fascism sweeping through Eastern Europe, causing death and destruction. Yeah. But you also have this idea of othering and outsiderness, yeah. and where, and Zero as as an immigrant who isn't obviously isn't Jewish. He comes from. It's ambiguous where he comes from, but he comes from far away. Where the Jew is an equivocal term yeah. to refer to both the Jewish people and anyone else um, that is being othered. Yeah, and I mean that's a very thorny issue, obviously, because you don't want to. You don't want to like mitigate or diminish the the, the suffering, actual, the actual yeah. Holocaust, mm. and the fact that it was orchestrated in large part to destroy the Jewish population in Europe. Yeah, but you, there is also the argument that it was also a process that othered other groups as well. Like there were, there and, were exterminated, and exterminated, and exterminated, um, yeah. sterilized, and yeah. yeah. And so, on that delightfully <laughs> upbeat tangent, talking about the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, yeah, we haven't talked people out of watching it because, <laughs> because we're in the spoiler zone. But I mean, is, is there any weight in that argument? Do you think that this is Anderson approaching from, ironically enough, a diagonal angle, um, the, the Holocaust? Because you have, if you have this metaphor of the Grand Budapest Hotel as Europe, this yeah. grand decadent ruin that was once glorious and beautiful and architecturally fantastic, and then you, know, you, have, you have the third act shootout that destroys the lobby and yeah. tears it apart, but you also have like this unspoken... like you know, sort of totalitarian anxiety that simmers through the film. You have, like, obviously the labelling of Gustav as yeah. other for being gay or bisexual mm-hmm. or a fruit or all this sort of stuff. You have also Zero, who, like, even at yeah. one point in the film, and Stacey pointed out before we jumped to the spoiler zone, mm-hmm. the moment where, like, when Gustav can't get his lair de panache, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. he has this big, epic, really bitter, and, like, yeah. at the moment, I, really dark I, rant. I, I cried because there was two parts to that. Yes. Yeah. Where there, 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 there was there was the moment where he um, let all of his frustration and being deprived of his fancy clothes and Laird of Panache and 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 old dowagers being in in this in this uh, trying to make the most of this frightful prison and and coming out and and being so irritable that he attacks the one uh, person who yeah. uh, stu- stood by him mm. and then um, when. And then you have the tragic kind of retelling uh, from Zero mm-hmm. of his circumstances that brought him mm-hmm. um, to uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, um, which entirely make a fool of of, yeah. of, of Mr. Gustav and the, mm-hmm. and, the, and uh, Gustav's uh, I guess kind of uh, brief sort of uh, apology uh, almost. A, a, mm-hmm. apology because they also have a time it's he's reading a poem and he has to interrupt him yeah it, it's mm-hmm. it is a it's a really beautiful scene and, and Stacy's right I was watching it this time and it felt mm-hmm. a lot more uncomfortable yeah um, and Stacy uh no I was just going to say I have the speech on uh, in a note and uh, zero says he's from somewhere called Axalim al Jabat and Forgive my ignorance, this may be a real place, it may not be a real place, in keeping with Subravka not being a real place, it's like perhaps this is a not real place 
just sort of name to imply that he is from somewhere kind of Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there is this like very tragic, but also kind of funny note after sort of Gustav gives out. And he, he really, he says some very shocking things. Uh, because Zero okay. has forgotten the perfume, he says, you know, I suppose this is to be expected back in Axelim Aljabat, where one's prized possessions are a stack of filthy carpets and a starving goat. And one sleeps behind a tent flap and survives on wild dates and scarabs. Like, it's really yeah. pointed, yeah. really horribly yeah. racist stuff. Yeah. And then he says, you know, what on, what on earth, you know, possessed you to come to, you know, here where things are more civilized and better? He's like, well, the war. Oh, where, yeah. where we don't want you is, is the worst yeah. part. Because, like, I mean, even we after the casual racism. We have no need for you. Yeah, yeah. where it's yeah. like, and this society seemed to be getting on just fine without you mm-hmm. as well, which is really, really cold and bitter. Yeah, yeah, and then Zero's like, well, you know, my whole family was killed in the war. And then there's this sort of very tragic but very funny moment where he's like oh I see so you're actually really more of a refugee (laughs) (laughs) and he's so ashamed of himself he he is but he also he also seems to like give himself an like there's it happens it happens repeatedly throughout the film like oh you're actually a refugee not an immigrant so I can I can apologize about what I said without admitting that what I said was horrible. It it speaks to this toxicity, I think, that is present in Gustav that we see again with his exploitation of women. And then also, you know, on a slightly lighter note, that the fact that he does use violence to kind of survive in prison, that he sees it as perfectly acceptable to like... You must not be seen seen as a candy ass. As a candy ass. (laughs) (laughs) Which which is a great departure from his normal kind of way of speaking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but there is there's even like uh, early on in the film mm-hmm. when the police arrive um mm-hmm. there's the moment where he talks to zero and he's like um so have you ever been interrogated by the police yeah. before and he's basically like oh yeah the militia came and they horribly tortured me and uh <laughs> gustav apparently registering none of this yeah. it's like so you know the deal yeah Zip great it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like they're, they're wonderful i think somebody pointed out it's like the ultimate white privilege moment it's like yeah, yeah. this guy has been horribly tortured by a militia uh but it's grand to react to it like oh so you've seen Lethal Weapon, gross. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're going for. Mm. And there's a lot of that through there. And like, I wonder, like, the argument is that the Grand Budapest Hotel is, and this ties back into its influences, which I think Stacey oh. alluded to, in that it treats the hotel as a metaphor for Europe in, say, the first half of the 20th century, where Europe wasn't even really a collection of different states. Like, because Germany didn't exist at the, you know, the midpoint of, say, the 19th century. Italy was like a collection of different kingdoms. There were migratory populations and stuff like that. There weren't rigidly defined borders or nationalism. It was all people moving and coming and going freely. Yeah. And so like you have this then transition with these this nationalism in the middle of the 20th century where you have everybody suddenly wearing these, you know, bastardized Nazi sort of like the the SS but as lightning bolts in case, mm. you know, the SS logo couldn't get even more fascist. <laughs> um, but there, there is this sort of like very conscious element, I think, in the film of playing with that, of playing with this idea of Europe as a place that was changed and had its innocence kind of lost yeah. in the middle of yeah. the 20th century. And displacement yeah. is a huge yeah. thing. And I mean, just in terms of that being a bad thing, I, like I, I think... For a filmmaker like Wes Anderson to address that in some way, it's not literally about the Holocaust. You know, it's yeah. not, you know, I think I, I would always agree with art addressing things that are the fallout of a great tragedy. And it's not direct. So I don't feel like it needs to be political. That's just my take. Yeah. I, I don't think I would never I would uh, I would say that that's there. I wouldn't say I wouldn't have any criticisms of that. I think art is supposed to address things. 
and it's, once it's not direct, I don't feel like you have to bring any sort of political anythings into it. Yeah, I don't. I don't, yeah, I, I think like people can dissect this movie uh, to 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 that level and then say, well, if it is a movie uh, obliquely about the Holocaust, how sensitive a, a a telling is that? And and then you get into kind of. Um, a very different kind of uh, discussion yeah. of, of the movie. I'm sure there are people listening who are like, finally, somebody is talking about the, <laughs> the, the Grand Budapest treatment of, 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 of the Holocaust. And then there's other people who's like, could you please like, get back to how delightful this movie yeah, yeah. is? <laughs> um, and and the, the, like, um, I, sp- I suppose... Well, it is, it is worth noting that the, the film is modelled on the books of Stefan Zweig. Yeah. Um, and it, it, the title card closes with that and, it, and you know, it, it memorises his work. It's inspired by, I think, Beyond Pity and The Girl in the Post Office, I think, which are among his last stories as well. And Zweig was a, a writer who was displaced in Europe and it's very much, it's it, that sort of sadness plays through it. Gustav, yeah. I think, was modelled on, on the character of Zweig, as was the author played by, obviously, Jude Law and Tom Wilkinson. Yeah. Ju- um, ju- just... Um, uh, we we are going to pronounce his surname every possible way. Yeah, just so just we so get it right, right once. Yeah, law uh, of averages states that. How would you? Yeah, I'd be inclined to go Zweig. 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 Okay, but um, yeah, we're, so but we're all wrong. So, Zweig, <laughs> but Zweig was was an author who uh, he was a Jewish author in Germany. He refused to leave when the Nazis came to power in thirty two and thirty three. He remained there in, in, until 34, but unlike other uh, Jewish immigrants who went to the States and sort of made a home there, he never felt comfortable. Um, and he moved to Brazil where he committed suicide in 1942, um, writing in his suicide note, my own language having disappeared from me and my spiritual home Europe having destroyed itself. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense watching the Grand Budapest Hotel that there is an element of that in it, particularly when at the end Zero is eulogizing, um, when he's eulogizing mm-hmm. Gustav and he's talking about, you know, I think his world had vanished long before mm-hmm. he ever entered it. I will say he certainly sustained the illusion with a marvelous grace. Mm-hmm. That's a really sad, really sweet, really romantic sort of way yeah. of eulogizing mm-hmm. somebody in the middle of something that is horrible and yeah. chaotic and, and violent. I'm not talking Absolutely. about anything in the real world. I'm talking about what happens yeah. in the film. Yeah, like, um, yeah. Uh, yeah it's the, the, the phrase that gets used a few times is this barbaric slaughterhouse we once called humanity. Mm. Yeah. So I think he's aware of it. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. That, 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 that he is um, trying to maintain the little glimpses of, of uh, beauty or respite in, in, in what he's uh, recognized as a world that's... Yeah. And like turn of the century Europe, he's trying to keep 19th century Europe alive into yeah. the 20th century, um, which well, is... I mean, like the, the, sorry, I, 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 um, I hate, I hate, I hate when, 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 cause I, I'm, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not qualified to talk about movies. Okay. I'm maybe less qualified to talk about politics. Go for it. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but, it but it's like the, 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 the kind of roots of all of this were um, born in the 19th century, if not before. It all kind of stems from nationalism. Oh yeah. People think that kind of well, nationalism is is good unless it's used for bad. Mm-hmm. But what do all these things have in common? What's the most da- uh, dangerous um, ideology of the last two hundred years? Um, and and yeah, personally, <laughs> that, that, that's 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 how I kind of um, feel um, on it. 
I think it kind of speaks to something I was saying earlier about how I feel like this is his best and most mature film in terms of how he's dealing with his themes in that, you know, in early Wes Anderson films, when you're looking at an idea of like a displaced individual or somebody who's kind of out of place, doesn't really feel like they belong anywhere. You know, you're looking at a kid who's sort of struggling in school or uh, yeah. an adopted child. Um, and, you know, those are obviously very complicated, you know, places to be, relationships to have with your with your friends, family and environment. But he's kind of getting at something deeper there, yeah. um, mm. you know, by actually very indirectly, but, you know, viably looking at displacement during World War II. In a very yeah. empathetic way. In a very yeah. human way. Yeah. yeah. He's taking a personal theme and on sort an of projecting it, and yeah. projecting it almost yeah. and making it cultural, which is, mm-hmm. I think, you could argue a sign of maturity almost. Yeah. 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 He's definitely speaking about now as well. Oh, yeah. He's not speaking um, exclusively about Europe in the 30s or 40s either. Yeah. Well, I, I, it almost, 2014. Almost, almost goes without saying. Yeah. But yeah, like if, if he's not being um, if he's not being prescient, I think he's, he's, he's being present. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's pre Donald Trump though. Yeah, yeah it is. but it's 2014, so it would predate Brexit. Yeah. It would predate yeah. a lot yeah. of that. Love, but what, obviously, that stuff simmered in the background. Lo- yeah, what a lot of people who are closer to it say is that people who are surprised about Donald Trump didn't really realize the things that were happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 there 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 is a lot of people who will who will talk about this, I guess, more eloquently than 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 I. Um, I think there was there was a very good piece on that that uh, Vox just did um, the Ezra Klein podcast. He oh, the discussion to, with uh, the guy who podcasted. No, uh, racism. Anderson. Yeah, okay. I, you 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 may be thinking of um, his interview with Sam Harris? Yes, that's what I think. No, the, this was this is one after that. I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But where 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 she's speaking about kind of um, this kind of uh, phenomena of white rage. Oh gosh, we've gotten onto a tangent. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Andrew just realizes there. It's like it's like white rage is the trigger word. It's yeah. like <laughs> But yeah, the, 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 and I guess similarly to uh, bring it back to the Grand Budapest <laughs> Hotel when, 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 when these, um, when these uh, crowds of um, armed uh, thugs and death squads finally um, get to use their teeth, it wasn't the first warning. Um, yeah. that, that, that oh, we yeah. had that yeah. something was happening. Yeah, And, and I mean, it, it's quite clear, like Gustav, Gustav kind of brushes it off like cause yeah. it's and like and to anybody watching through the lens of history knows that like the point where the train is stopped and where you know Edward Norton as the nice fascist yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know the, the reasonable the um, sound one yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of the like, chill one have you forgotten what it is to be a fascist? We don't behave like this. Yeah. Um, I knew you changed. It's ridiculous. You guys are giving fascism a bad name. Um, but there is, yeah, it's like me and my men apologize to you. But there's a sense that Gustav is completely oblivious to what is actually happening. Because he but thinks he can just... Potentially yeah. oblivious. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because Gustav is obviously so detail-oriented himself in the environment of the Grand Budapest Hotel that... You know, when he runs into these fascists on the train and they're kind of checking documents and things, he's like, oh, the documents are in order. And they're like, uh. like, yeah. that's almost the, the thing that gets him. It's like, I know he does say then, oh, you can't arrest him just because he's a bloody immigrant. But yeah. it's like, he's got documents. <laughs> like, look, everything's in order. I that, triple check them myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like, this is what I, yeah, I triple check myself. fascist himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as we, as we saw in Schindler's List. <laughs> 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 um, 
the, the <laughs> he'd have been on board with that style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I feel like the okay. Hugo Boss cut it. Sorry. Okay. Um, I feel like we're walking down potentially. Yeah. Well, well, that, that's that, that's I guess the, one of the great things about this movie is is that you can see it on these different levels. If mm. you want to think about it in terms of um, a movie that looks at incarceration um, and mm. the like. Um, the uh, prisonization of of like like you you can you can, you you can look at the way the, the the kinds of people that he meets while inside, in prison uh, while yeah. while while in prison and and that these these are kind of um, in some ways it's, it's essentially good people. But that, that's the They're, wonderful thing about Anderson's characters is that even like Harvey Keitel playing the tattooed in great shape, guy, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> for a man his age, I think at one stage he makes his sort of um, like pets sort of like. Yeah, sort of flex mm. as if to say, yeah, um, I may be 72 years old, but look mm. at me go. Yeah, but there is an element of that Anderson sort of wonderful sensitivity to the men in yeah. prison, mm-hmm. where like even Harvey Keitel as the tattooed shirtless gang boss mm. is like perfectly reasonable, perfectly sound. <laughs> yeah. uh, Doesn't Harvey Keitel play that exact same character in Isle of Dogs? <laughs> yeah. 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 He plays literally the same character, except this yeah. time it's a dog puppet. Yeah. It's just a dog version. And even sadder. Like, yeah. oh. <laughs> Somehow sadder. But I, yeah. There is an element of Anderson's empathy and compassion for yeah. people. I mean, of course, surprise you. Yeah, that, yeah. Of course, you, you do then get within that the wonderful black humor. Where, for example, when they're escaping and the guy is about to shout for the guards, the big burly oh, scar yes. face like takes him off screen and presumably snaps his neck <laughs> in a moment that is both horribly brutal but also incredibly sweet. And yes. the and the the like the, uh, Gustav is given uh, lots of fantastic lines in mm. in prison and in the escape from the prison his his line there is thank you you sweet kind man <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it, which is which is so hilarious but it really captures uh, that that kind of um, idea of, of of like that is what sweetness and kindness <laughs> is in this in this kind of uh, scenario he's fulfilling yeah. Gustav's needs yeah. he's providing him a service his language the, there, there's another moment, like a, a few kind of prison scenes earlier, where 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 they say to Gustav, they're like this kind of group of of of, of reprobates and criminals and murderers. They, they, it's implied that they're going to be executed shortly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and 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 he says, hey, "You're one of us now," <laughs> and his response of. What a lovely thing to say! That's what he wants. Yeah, clinging exactly. on to any exactly. kind of yeah. Yeah. Yes. What a lovely thing to say. Which, 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 and, and it, it seems to kind of like tell the sort of um, uh, story over and over again that these people we put in prisons are human beings. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, 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 which. Uh, but it's 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 told in a way that 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 that, that is very kind of like. Um, uh, satirical and um, funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. The, the very dark sense of humor, like from where they open the door, find the guards playing poker. One of the guys jumps down with what? What does he call it? the throat slitter? Throat slitter <laughs> that they use to cut cake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brutally murders all of the guys in there before succumbing to being stabbed himself, mm. prompting M. Gustav to uh, to wittily reply, "Well, I guess you'd call that a draw." <laughs> um, but there is this wonderful like sense of humor yeah. even among the darkness, which yeah. I think is very Anderson-esque, and, and I think works well. Yeah. Like, it, it does. The it t- could not work at all. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, the tone, the management of tone in this film is is fantastic. He's a master at that, though, mm, Wes Anderson, absolutely. as a filmmaker. Like 
there's so much stuff in Wes Anderson's film that completely just relies on him being able to nail that. Yeah. And he does. Like, like really that great Tenenbaum's line, uh, I'm sorry if you're lost, your mother was a terribly attractive yeah. woman. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, like, amazing stuff. Because, you know, the joke still relies on us sort of accepting that Royal is like a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to be nice. He's trying to be yeah. kind of genuine. So that's why it works so well. It's yeah. a lovely moment. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's genuinely a sweet thing for that man <laughs> to we'll say. say in that context. So yeah, because it's so horrible. It manages the tone so and well. And it, it's it, like it's it's sometimes so um, kind of um, obscene or um, or sort of surreal, but it, it's, it can also be very kind of observational. Like there, like there's a moment in the um, when they're being rescued um, by by Bill, Bill Murray's mm. um, who, who's a member of the Society of the Cross Seas, <laughs> where it's yeah. like, please, um, zero, give me some money as a symbolic um, as a offering. Symbolic <laughs> offering. <laughs> and um, he he um, he hands the money to um, to uh, uh, Bill Murray's yeah. um, character, the, the the concierge from the other hotel, mm. and it's saying, "Bless you," and, <laughs> and uh, Bill Murray's like. Please, please, please. <laughs> right, it's, like, it's I can't possibly yeah. accept this. Yeah. It, but it's, it's wonderfully ritual. Yeah. 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 In any which way you can get money out of someone. <laughs> <laughs> even <laughs> even if you have to do that theatrical performance yeah. to get it. Because everything in Grand Budapest Hotel is theatre. Yeah. And the film consciously draws your attention to the fact that it is a film. That yes. it's it's an artificial yeah. construct yeah. that's fake. Through, obviously, the model work. Through yeah. the, you know, the way that the special effects are done. Through like the two-dimensional picture of the hotel itself, mm. but through not, to the framing even the framing, of the film, yeah. not not just that, but the the way the way the story is told, even it's the so, language, yeah. it's so clearly a story because there's dr- dramatic kind of irony from the very beginning where it's talking about the author, mm. uh, um, and, his and, tombstone and, says. Author, author. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think national treasure. Uh, the, 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 um, and I then, aspire to having that on yeah. my tombstone. And then, then oh, the, the, you will soon, Dad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Soon. We <laughs> <laughs> will remember that. Yeah. He's like, my house, Darren. My house. But they underline that sort of. Um, sense of this being a movie, uh, which 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 is very kind of late um, uh, Anderson, or kind of well, maybe what? we'll call him mid Anderson <laughs> if he doesn't die <laughs> as soon as Darren. Does. <laughs> uh, but um, they they underline that by having a, a recursive narration, yeah, um, where where it, there there is a woman reading a book, yeah, at the start, and then and then you have the author in 1985 um, narrating yeah. the book. Yeah. Then you have um, the author flashing back yeah. to, to meeting Zero to F. Murray Abraham in 1962. Yeah, yeah. and then um, you jump back further to 1932. Yeah, um, but it is, and then along the way, the aspect ratio is constantly changing mm-hmm. to draw your attention yeah. to it, which is a remarkably clever construct. In fact, it's like when nice. we watch the Blu-ray of it for this podcast, mm-hmm. it makes sure that you uh, and I love it, it's got this Wes Anderson title card where it's mm-hmm. like, please make sure your monitor is set to six point nine, six to nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I do like that he specifies monitor. It's like, yes, I am old tiny. Yeah, yeah, I am old tiny, but I'm willing to accept you may be watching this on a smartphone. Yeah. Um, oh. But <laughs> when they when they sent it to projectionists, they actually did up little uh, little cards to demonstrate at what point it should be done. And they were Andersonian in nature. Aww. They're all like, uh, in the yeah, same... Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless no one told me, because I would have stolen it. <laughs> 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 but there. 
<laughs> but there is like because Anderson had wanted to work with the Academy ratio, mm-hmm. uh, which he'd assumed was one point three three, but was actually one point three seven. Mm-hmm. Film nerd alert! Um, but you he also to, you have to announce that alert before it starts. Oh, yeah, you can't call it retroactive. Put that up front. Yeah, like, <laughs> but Sorry. it is, and it it interestingly. The film is very meticulously and very precisely framed. And the way in which, like, it cuts even within the story back out again. So you get, for example, to the the dinner that's taking place between Jude Law and Zero, which is in widescreen, which means that, like, and you never get a chance to properly settle on the, you know, 1.33. You're always consciously aware that you are watching this little box on your screen. Yeah, that's right. Um, It's a really nice way to keep you rooted in the theatre yeah. of it all yeah, yeah. Um, and he does the same in Isle of Dogs as well where he nests like through the translation because he never settles on one mode of translation so that every time you think like you can settle in and sort of get into the story without acknowledging Forget the packaging is, yeah. Yeah. yeah the film's like no you have to pay attention to how we're packaging yeah. this information mm-hmm. which is very dangerous as a, as a, as a you know as a filmmaker because it could go horribly wrong because you never you know you never want to draw the audience's attention to the trick you're pulling no but the confidence unless you do yeah, yeah but the unless confidence yeah that's it the confidence, yeah. it's executed with such skill yeah. that it's, it's beautiful. And I mean, the wonderful thing about drawing the audience's attention, like the 1.33, is it draws attention to all the wonderful shots that Anderson yes. like frames and composes. Like, mm-hmm. he frames within frames. Like, there are wonderful shots of characters in, like, offices with windows oh, that yeah. are in the aspect ratio of the aspect yeah. ratio that you're staring at. Oh. There's the great moment of Jeff Goldblum uh, getting yeah. into the oh, train, yeah. pulling down the shutter, and then having Willem Dafoe and his badass bike yeah. um, sort of, like, in a frame within a frame yeah. and Jeff Goldblum in a frame within a frame underneath that. There's a whole host of really great stuff like that. There's even yeah. stuff like, for example, he, to avoid making it seem flat, he he shoots on an angle on the vertical plane. So he will frequently shoot characters from low angles or from high angles. So for example, the window above the Grand Budapest Hotel where like, it's like, who never, hired Zero? Never diagonal. Yeah, yeah never, <laughs> diagonal. Never, never diagonal. Never diagonal. Never <laughs> or the bit where he's <laughs> in the car with Bill Murray where the, the in order to get Bill Murray fully sitting down in the shot, he has to put the camera low. Mm. But it means yeah. that you get this sort of thing. It also means that like, even the names of like the Grand Budapest Hotel, the concierge desk, mm. are always perfectly meticulously aligned within the yeah. square frame. It's, right. it's absolutely beautiful. It must be very hard to be Wes Anderson. Like, well, Wes Anderson's production designer. Oh. Definitely hard to be. Yeah, Jesus. I, did, I, I said perfectly square, damn it. I spoke to somebody um, who knew someone who worked on Fantastic Mr. Fox and she was an animator and she's just like, oh my God, like he just does not care for any of the rules about <laughs> doing animation he's just like well no it needs to be this way so just redo it and it's like oh. that's like three months work <laughs> but, but like there, he didn't care there was, a lot, <laughs> there was apparently a lot of tension on the, on the fantastic Mr. Fox about that because Anderson yeah. had never really done animation before so he didn't understand no understanding yeah. of it no. which uh, is really annoying I can imagine <laughs> as somebody wow. who'd animate it's like your life's work it's like I want it to look like this but you understand how, the, how it works I said I want it yeah. to look but, like I this mean, <laughs> I, I have a lot of sympathy for that as and, and maybe I'm like romanticizing I don't know is that a pun but the, 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 um, it reminds me of Beethoven writing um, works for piano that couldn't be played by uh, by Human the pianist at the time at least a three handed piano concerto is a masterpiece I mean it could but it was difficult yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I suppose a, a lot of kind of a groundbreaking sort of um, uh, creators in, in any medium tend, tend to kind of 
push uh, the, yeah. the, the, the medium mm. further than they're comfortable with. Sometimes from from a place of, of ignorance of, of human failings or, or, sorry, not human failings, but human limitations. Yeah. 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 Where, where it's, it's, it's like, no. And my, it was my, very harsh judge there. It's like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, as, as in the, the, this idea of the kind of um, uh, artistic vision being the most kind of important thing and, and the, that's the, we always have these, I, I think the, it would, it would have to be the exception, the kind of director who everybody likes and gets yeah. on with. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and does, yeah. Well, there are a few of them, but they, yeah, they don't tend to have the same cult of personality, I think. They wouldn't be quite as precise yes. in yeah, how yeah. absolutely everything is <laughs> to look and sound yeah. and yeah. feel. And yes. I think Bordwell has described Anderson's style as swiping from the art historian uh, Heinrich Wolflin, a planimetric style in that he moves the camera mm-hmm. on the vertical plane rather than horizontally in that he wants to sort of flatten everything and that yeah. everything sort of appears almost two-dimensional intentionally yeah. which is fascinating um it really is and it looks amazing it's why he he lends him his style to animation so well as well like it just works you barely notice wes anderson films when they're, when they're animated. <laughs> the difference between yeah, the two, you're yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you get the sense you could have put bill murray in a dog costume and, and made yeah. isle of dogs and it would look but very similar to, to how it turns out not what yeah. they did <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>, spoiler andrew <laughs> but yeah there, there is like even within this there's lots of rich pinks well there's obviously the pinks in the academy ratio scenes yeah. there's the oranges in when it goes mm. back to the the kind of 60s yeah. but there's this sort of very colorful very designed aspect of it where it likens itself to the pastries almost yes. in some way shape or form yeah. and there's a sense like throughout the film as, as Charlene pointed out at the start to bring us a nice bookend of like artists who do their art for it to be appreciated almost whether that art is running a hotel or making a pastry yeah. mm. Um, or even making a film yeah. in this case, where everything in here looks. When beautiful. you say bookend, I feel I I, I want to hear a lot more of of, of of what you guys thought of this yeah, movie. Right. I, I know I know I know where we're. Is there more? How do we talk about this? Yeah. What have we, what have we missed? Anything suggest itself to you? Can I make a point that's actually kind of maybe irrelevant? But I was rewatching the Grand Budapest Hotel recently. And it struck me that Paddington 2 <laughs> utterly lifts yeah. the middle of that film and creates yes. great from it. I yes. guess that. With, also, stylistically, with like, the even before costume. I saw Paddington 2, I saw all these like stills and I was like, that looks like a Wes Anderson movie. That's so weird. <laughs> and I didn't, it didn't strike me when I watched Paddington 2, but it was only when re-watching Grand Budapest. <laughs> and I was just like, this is... It's Paddington 2. Literally. <laughs> Paddington too. <laughs> there are worse things than making Grand Budapest Hotel for kids. But oh, it, there's, oh, it's a great thing to do. It's a great movie. <laughs> you, you are entirely correct because I mean, Brendan Gleeson wears the same prison outfits. But there's the same like criminals break out, but help our yeah. hero break yeah. out. Thought. He there's was in there for stealing a painting. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. Unsuspected murder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that, that's the kind of underlying sort of um, it, in 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 Paddington too. I haven't seen it, but I think it's strongly suggested that he's also uh, on the run from murder. Uh, and, uh, 
and and well, that I it's mean, finally going to catch up. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Why? Why? Oh, like and it's, 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 not, it's not, the film's not exactly subtle about that either. With Peter Capaldi's character, like yeah, I think it's it's a it's it's like a remake of the Marathon Man. That would be amazing. Paddington three to be Paddington is Lawrence Olivier's character. We nailed it. I'm waiting for Paddington three where you Grant wakes up tied to a dentist chair. <laughs> Paddington's like, where is it safe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but anyway, the, the, um, I, I I I like the kind of um, use of genres in this movie. Yes. By by the way, like like one criticism I think that I haven't heard uh, so far, but that I'd imagine is, is out there because internet um, <laughs> is is that this movie is a long ass movie. They, 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 it's as, not, as, is it long? It's, as in, it's an hour it, and 50, which is actually relatively long. short. Really? At the point when it gets to the monastery, you're like, oh, there's an, a whole other, other other part to it, and there's a whole other part after that. It, it, they, they, yeah. And that struck me the first time I watched the movie, and then like a, I had like a Pavlovian reaction where it's like, <laughs> this is the point the movie gets long. Where, <laughs> where um, and, and like, I, I don't even... I, I don't mean that as a strong criticism. I just mm. mean it's noticeable. It feels okay. um, okay. long, and 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 if it if 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 it was lagging at all for anybody, or if they weren't kind of into it, then that that would be a a moment where they realize, oh, I'm I'm not getting out of this <laughs> yeah. anytime soon. They, I, and I now I now have the image of Paddington telling you Grant to a dentist chair and making him watch Grant to a dentist hotel with his go, eyes open. Yeah, going, yeah. thinking it's going Next to end. Cloud yeah, um, I do think I, I have to say, and I mean this very mildly, as mildly as I can yeah. say this. When Wes Anderson deals with what you might call Wes Anderson's version of an action sequence, <laughs> front, like people, the James like, Bond homage, around, yeah. I kind of don't feel like he's great at that. No, I think there's the bits in Isle of Dogs as well that were quite action focused, and um, well, where uh, he literally just puts a cloud of cotton wool on yeah. screen like in Looney Tunes. <laughs> Any form of like chasing that happens, and like even but that's because they can only move in two dimensions. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Some diagonal work would be great there. Like, I do think that's kind of. What well, it makes it it might lag a little bit in those places. Having said that, uh, and and I know that was just a mild criticism, but um, I re- I did really like as in as in I was very sad to see, but I did enjoy the the murder of Kovacs. Yeah, that's uh, right. yeah, because because it's a wonderful, it, 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 it sequence yeah. too. But it Good also murder. reminded yeah. me of Good murder, like like, like that. Um, I think it was like the third man. I was going yeah. to say yeah. third man, yeah. Yeah, yes. where, where yes. and that's what made me think of Orson Welles earlier yeah. on, because there was definitely that kind of like sense of it. We saw, I think, recently the um, the um, that movie, that amazing movie with um, was it Alan Arkin. Um, oh, that's seven percent solution. The seven percent solution. Where the one where where um, Sigmund Freud and Sherlock Holmes team up to fight crime. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hold on. Oh, what? We, we, What's he doing here? <laughs> we have a very special uh, surprise. <laughs> surprise guest. This stays in the podcast. It's all staying in the podcast. It's Ray Fine, everybody. Oh my god, he's here. Tell me about the Hulkmore Hulk. Ladies and gentlemen, you weren't oh expecting god. this. But Ray Fines is here. Um, Let's record show I am not great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <bloody> wish. 
joining us, actually, for the last section of this podcast, is the wonderful Mr. Phil Bagel. How are you, Phil? How are things? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I better be good, because I have to fit in with all this. I just came in the door, and all I could hear was laughter. What What? what caused that? Oh, the sugar. Sugar. A surprise guest. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's it. you. Yeah. Oh, bless you. Bless you. Uh, we were delighted. On this yeah. We were delighted, and that's why we were laughing. Yeah. Yeah. You're overjoyed. Actually, I think we watched the Grand Budapest Hotel at the same time at that West Anderson party oh. in the lighthouse. Yes, we did. You were dressed as Max Fisher. Uh, everybody was dressed. Oh, yeah, it was a lot of Max Fishers. <laughs> Are you in the lighthouse membership poster? Actually, I'll be honest. It was quite weird. I ended up flirting with the Max Fisher that night. <laughs> <laughs> everybody goes through phases. There's no judgment here. Well, at least I think it was a female Max Fisher. I could be wrong. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... Um, the important thing was that it was a Max Fisher. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the, that was exactly what I was looking yeah. for. The details yeah. that we sound... But, yeah, I love that, that we were just talking about the scene where Kovacs gets murdered, the wonderful Jeff Goldblum, uh, which is one of those great... Did and, he just throw my cat out the window? <laughs> <laughs> and then the quick shot of the cat... Disagree. Oh. Um, Strong disagree. Yeah. Between the cat and his fingers... God, this is violent. It is, and that's what's shocking about it. There's, there's that wonderful contrast between... And again, we talked about Anderson's mastery of tone. It manages to be flippant and playful while also being quite graphic and violent mm. in places. Mm. Like you do have the bit where his fingers get chopped off and you have the head in the bag and you have the mm. cat in the bag with the blood stain on it while still being playful and sort of sugary and confectionary. But, but it manages that in every possible way. It's not just like, okay, you have the violence. Uh, but it, even in the dialogue, like there's the scene where... Um, where Monsieur Gustave he's hanging off the edge of the cliff where Jopling is standing over him. And he's saying, Is this the end? cried the wounded Piper Boy. Holy Darn you got him! <laughs> Comes out of nowhere. That's what I love about that film. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. But yeah, so we were, we were talking about that, that murder scene and sort of the influence of Orson Welles on and stuff like that. And it is very, like, there is a lot of, I think Stacey mentioned this, Anderson paying homage to the people who inspired him in terms of directorial style and stuff yeah. like that. There's a lot of that in there, which is... It's a genre quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. And it really gets into that, I think, later in the film. And I, I think something that... I, I know I know we're coming to the end, but something that we... we, we <laughs> Perfect timing. Really That's what I do. <laughs> so, I think something that we can't... Uh, no, how many double negatives? Something that we can't not mention <laughs> is... <laughs> Is uh, is the um, love story in in in, oh, in yeah. this movie? Zero and Agatha. Zero and Agatha, absolutely. And <laughs> and the 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 um, I I I I really really enjoyed it. And I, I'm I'm sure I'm, I'd like I'd like to see what 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 other people think about it. But it really um, it really warmed me, and it was also of course. Um, uh, sad if you manage to invest in it, um, that, that 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 it comes to the kind of tragic conclusion where she gets killed in a line off screen almost. Yeah, yeah, like, in a, a, a Prussian kind of uh, disease. Yeah, Prussian Greek Greek, Pr- Prussian. Yeah. which is which is obviously supposed to be the Spanish flu. Yeah, or something yeah. Comparable. But we treat it in a week now, but back then it killed millions of people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's there's a lot of that in there, and I mean, there's even the choice early in the film where he says, "But we're not going to talk about Agatha." Mm-hmm. And the first point at which you get pulled out of the narrative, like where you get pulled out in the 1932 setting, back to the 1962 dinner, mm-hmm. is the point at which he goes. I have to talk about Agatha in order to tell you this and story. At that point, they've already had maybe three dates. Yeah. So he, this is something that he's holding quite close. And I think that kind of makes, uh, that imbues it with an extra kind of depth that you don't have to, that you don't have to uh, t- 
tell. Yeah. You know, it's it's just kind of there. There's there's this kind of off-screen sort of um, implication that 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 this is something extremely important to uh, Zero. And, yeah. and and but we see it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I like when films make us um believe in a relationship based on very little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it does it really like I like when that happens when it works. Yeah. yeah. Um I think it really works here. You don't get to spend an awful lot of time with Zero and Agatha, but you can you know and the, the obviously the voiceover and the, the storytelling really helps. You know that this that the loss of her was a huge trauma for him and you know and that I think that works that tiny little strand among so many other strands works really beautifully I think the casting helps as well because Tony Revolori and uh, Saoirse Ronan together they're just they're just really sweet, sweet yeah. and I also love that uh, that uh, Ronan makes absolutely no attempt to cover up her accent no yeah, it's, at all. Nice. it's wrong <laughs> everything just just fire everything in the box there, there no matter where it comes from everyone speaks kind of in their own accent yeah. 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 yeah but there is something very strange about Ronan's accent delivering Andersonian dialogue like there's yeah. a moment I'm not where, offense, yeah, that's, the that's exactly yeah. the line <laughs> I was thinking of because it, it's a very Andersonian bit of dialogue but it's delivered in a very naturalistic way by very Ronan Irish. which is yeah. interesting you get that wonderful sort of dissonance between them because I think you know obviously Fines is a bit more arch and you know would be a bit more but that but he is because he's brave Fines that's what he does yeah. Yeah. and he, he's brilliant but yeah I really really like that sort of difference that exists between the two and the fact I'd like to see her take on Wes Anderson again Mm. well he probably will (laughs) (laughs) Wes Anderson Anderson is like a kind of like a snowball falling down the hill (laughs) everybody gets something if I can make a sort of Buzz Killy comment about Agatha absolutely she's kind of flawless like in yeah. a film where all of these other characters are seen to be, you know, to be problematic in certain ways and other ways. It's like she's kind of this, you know, beautiful oh, like dead it. wife. Figure. Yeah. But again, perspective. What's wrong with that? Stuff? Stuff? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't really I, yeah, see that. Sorry, so that's yeah, it true, is from yeah. Zero's perspective. So it's another way in which the film being told from Zero's perspective kind of does influence what you see yeah, and how you see. I think yeah. that is in the it. same way as. Gustav is yeah, in the yeah, same way that Gustav is yeah, no. not problematic at all. No. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with Gustav. Yeah, yeah. Gustav was my hero. Yeah. 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 Gustav is who I aspire to be. She was, she was dynamite in the south. Thousand cubics. And it was also that um, she was a uh, uh, could have been a victim of circumstances, but had had risen above it. So the the the, the, the the thing that really uh, underlines her magnificence for, um, not for Zero, because Zero doesn't really talk about it very much, but um, I, I, aside from in his in his letter, which is like, I love you, I love you, I love you. <laughs> um, uh, you're de- de- delightful and... Um, Why does he sound like Gustav? <laughs> no, he, he, I, I was trying to make him sound like um, your man in uh, s- s- Singing in the Rain. Oh, okay. um, sorry. Um, but um, no, the... The when 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 Rafe finds when Gustav is talking. Well, I think Anderson's argued actually that when he saw Rafe finds in the aspect ratio, he thought of Humphrey Bogart. So you're not too far off. Okay. Yeah. So the the, the um, uh, but when when <laughs> when Gustav talks about uh, her, uh, he talks about how much uh, she suffers, like how how she's kind of slaving away uh, with sweat off her brow with the. While while he's magnificent, perhaps a bit overbearing, um, um, 
what's his name? The he the the, the man the, who owns the bakery. Mr. Mendel. Mr. Mendel. Yeah. Mendel. Mr. Mendel. Mr. Mendel the baker. Which sounds like a children's kind <laughs> Are we family? Yeah. <laughs> or a Sylvanian family, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I I I I I I enjoyed her character. I I don't think maybe 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 there could have been more to tell in terms of like her flaws and imperfections, but I feel like it spoke to me as someone who's once a teenager and um I suppose well as a teenager I not even just as a teenager, but from a 7-year-old boy up until kind of late adolescence was astonished by how magnificent and perfect women were. Um, and, and All just women? Yeah, certain ones especially. Um, yeah, there were, there were at least one at a time. They, 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 as, uh, and, and, and no, that's not what it sounds like. Yes, <laughs> no, as, as, as in... No edit points, Andrew. No edit points. Um, what I mean is from, from, from this perspective of being a young boy, as zero is in, in this and... It is an idealization, but it feels more real than than things that are actually real, you know? Yeah. When when and when 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 you look back and that sort of like sense of nostalgia, these um these people who meant so much to you and would uh, would would define whether you were happy or sad on that day. Mm-hmm. So it did, and and be, be, because of how much they mean to you and because of how um idealized they are in your mind and how perfect they are to you. I guess. No, that's maybe not a very healthy <laughs> of, of kind of per- perceiving the world, but I think it's very true to a certain kind of um, uh, uh, well, I mean, that, uh, adolescent or kind of uh, childish way. That is arguably, though, this is one of those criticisms of Anderson, how self-aware is he arguments, which is that Anderson, to a certain extent, empathizes a lot with his adolescent characters, like Max from Rushmore. Right. Since and so is there a sense of, is Anderson aware of how he's doing that? Or is he doing that unconsciously? I, I don't think he necessarily needs to either be aware of it or not aware of it. I don't think that affects the, 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 the value of, of, of it as, as, as a work of art. Hmm. You think maybe it's like he is... Sorry. <laughs> uh, I also kind of lost my train of thought, but um, the idea that he is just creating a story from his heart that gives gives more than it might seem on the surface so like it's it's not conscious necessarily it's like it's subconscious this is what he likes to talk about and something like the Grand Budapest Hotel like as a one concept is something yeah. but so much extra as we have discussed in the past I don't know how long we've been talking yeah. um, comes from him but yeah. like, he might not be aware of that No. but he also I don't think he would bury it I think he's the type of artist that like I like I to bring a bit of myself to this, yeah. but I don't think he's like. I feel like I want to make a film so that everyone thinks people like Max Fisher are great. Like I don't think it is that. I just think that he doesn't like to bury himself. I'm not speaking for yeah. him. <laughs> just, <laughs> that's kind of what I feel. Yeah, I interpreting interpreting in Anderson. Articulated yeah. I get yeah, I get the sense that Anderson, when he's making a movie or putting it out into the world, starts from a point of view of this is me expressing myself either consciously or unconsciously in a very unguarded way and not and 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 that any kind of thoughts of well how will people perceive this or are are people going to think that i'm culturally appropriating or are people going to think um 
um, that uh, that certain characters represent the way I think yeah. about about things. I, I I don't know if necessarily that it strikes me as the kind of thing where 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 he's just kind of giving flow to to well, to. Anderson has has talked about his writing method, where he's when he's asked about themes in his work, he's like, I don't actually write down themes in my work. I don't think about it beforehand. I just write, and whatever develops develops like i mean he talks about like the process of writing this story began by modeling m gustav on a friend um who was 30 years old but acted like he was 55 and so that sort of inspired him to create the character of gustav as a man outside of his time then he read swag and he was like okay i can incorporate bits and elements of that in there swag. so he never he Swag yeah. in the yeah. bag. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he had swag in the bag, but uh, swag in his bike. <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah. So he doesn't really articulate or think in those terms when he's writing, which is you know his business. That's how he writes and how he structures. Um, he doesn't write down like the Grand Budapest Hotel is going to be about X. It's like, yeah. well, I want to do these things, and yeah. I'm going to start writing it and see what happens. Which probably uh, explains to a certain extent the kind of uh, not disparities, but I suppose shifts in tone. But uh, he seems to manage them quite well. But I imagine it comes from that writing process where he's just going along and sees what he wants to get in yeah. there. And... Third man homage! Yeah. Missing fingers. Um, back <laughs> Nothing wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then if we look at it as an audience, we say, well, well what does this say about Wes Anderson as a filmmaker? Whereas I, I, don't, I don't think there... Because in, in some senses, the, 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 the critical and the creative faculties work at odds. I think it's very difficult to 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 be a a creative if you're going to let that um, critic in. Hmm. If if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, it can come along later. Once 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 you kind of have something. Well, I mean, this is this is going to be a conversation that if other dogs get in, we're going to have to have and stuff. But I suspect that for the moment, it's okay to to kind of to, to leave it there, is it? No. No. <laughs> well, I mean, like, okay, so Anderson, when he, when he was doing Isle of Dogs, he made a point to bring no, in no, a writer who no, no, understood no, it, Japanese it, it culture. Is, it, it and is, I feel like is. that's I'm, a good I'm step. I'm being facetious. Okay. I'm being facetious. Okay. You? We all have homes to go to. With that in mind, then, is there anything else that we haven't talked about with regards to Grand Budapest Hotel that we sort of missed out on? And I realize that's a loaded question to ask Phil. Because I, I have, I've missed most of this. He's been here for 15 minutes. <laughs> there's, there's a method to this madness. You will see why I'm here soon enough, <laughs> listeners. Stay tuned. You may already have heard it, in fact. But anyway. Oh. Um, <laughs> see what I mean? <laughs> Time is just a construct, man. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah. So is there anything else uh, we want to talk about with regards to the Grand Budapest Hotel that we have missed? Johnny Depp was the first choice mm. to play. What? Um, Gustav. I yeah, can see we, that. We have to talk about this. What? Yes. I would rather leave it. <laughs> Really? Yeah. There's a terrible yeah. review of this film. I won't name the outlet. <laughs> but uh, they mention, oh, Johnny Depp might have made more sense in this film. I, don't, I think oh. anybody who's seen Mordecai would probably disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like, I like the idea Johnny that, Depp film for the last I like the idea that Mordecai is... various a, versions of this character horribly yeah. in every film for the past few years. It would have ruined the film. I love the yes, idea so. that Mordecai is like is Johnny Depp's answer to a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, well I'm going to do this movie instead then. <laughs> if you want to watch a bad Wes Anderson film, watch a Tim Burton film. So, um, oh, some, yeah. some Tim Burton films. <laughs> some Tim Burton. Hashtag not all yeah. Tim Burton films. No, yes. Not all Tim Burton films. <laughs> yeah. Possibly starring Johnny Depp so possibly. he can get the best of all worlds. Yeah, so, no, uh, the, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I was going to say, watch that Willy yeah. Wonka To be clear, um, I'm fond of a lot of Tim Burton but he like completely it's been off the rails. Like and when it just gets to be that you discover what 
um, where you can kind of figure out what, what he's about to do. You can almost think like, oh, oh sorry. I'm, I'm guessing it, whatever he does, it'll probably involve stripes. And there'll probably be a lot of... <laughs> Danny Elfman. Da, 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 I'm I know we impersonate a lot of actors, but I don't think I've ever heard any of them impersonate a score before. <laughs> <laughs> we don't actually have musical accompaniment on the podcast anymore. We just have Andrew making sounds. That is going to be a problem for our next episode, let me tell you. Oh, you think, you think. It's like not even a big kind of critical analytical thing but when I rewatched this film recently I realised Lucas Hedges is in it yes, yes. Lucas Hedges yes. I was delighted because man of the moment he's yeah. the gas Moonrise gas Kingdom the and he's the bad guy in Moonrise Kingdom ostensibly yeah. yes like, he is he's yeah. the Willem Dafoe and he has his own bike he's got a motorcycle yeah, yeah, yeah. he's filling up Willem Dafoe's motorcycle and sitting on it and he has a motorcycle in Moonrise Kingdom and I was Amazing. like I'd like Lucas Hedges to be more Wes Anderson films with, with motorcycle with motorcycle that should be his thing yeah it's just called motorcycle don't do it Darren don't do it don't do what D- Darren desperately wants to say maybe Wes Anderson is hedging his bets thank yeah, you for beating him to yeah. it <laughs> no, he, he, he actually Darren, didn't, Darren he didn't actually didn't. said it earlier when yeah, you were right, watching Darren. the movie I turned around and I was like <laughs> <laughs> well I said something that, that I can't oh. repeat and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't repeat it rated PG-13 you can repeat it there when edited out <laughs> yeah, just yeah. saying I was like Darren <laughs> <laughs> To be clear to listeners, the reason Andrew can't repeat it is not because it's a swear word. Um, it's something much, much worse. Yeah. Oh, um, no, it wasn't. <laughs> but yeah, it was. And I was actually really impressed to see Hedges in it because he, he's. It's really weird because he looks like he's grown into the Hedges who appeared in like Manchester by the Sea in the time between Moonrise Kingdom. Because yeah. yeah. in Moonrise Kingdom, he was like Willem Dafoe sized, and now he's uh, <laughs> now he's Lucas Hedges sized. <laughs> It's like a, he's like, job, a, puberty, yeah. like a, a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> his, his, his next evolved form. Yeah. Like, uh, the Bulbasaur and Charmory. Go to form an Oscar nominee. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that sounds like something from Transformers, but. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you're throwing out your Pokeball and Jeff Goldblum. Um, so, um, we. Uh, yeah. you know, fight? No. I can't wait to listen to this because I imagine there must have been a hell of a lot of, a, of Jeff Goldblum impressions. There are actually, actually right. not a one. Yeah. People, yeah. people disappoint the, me. The film is so concentrated in its awesomeness that you can, almost don't have time to pick apart. Like the, yeah. the Society of Secret Keys with Bob Balaban. And, yeah, and yeah. A lot Bob Balaban. If you haven't discussed the score either, let's just. Oh, no, yeah, and she fills here just beautiful. in time to do I this. The, and the score is fantastic because that's yeah. another thing that like takes you consciously out in the movie. Where the like, for example, during that wonderful sequence on the mountain where they go to the retreat, mm-hmm. where it turns into the Gregorian chanting yeah. yes. that is actually being chanted by the priests yeah. and the monks on screen. And, Again, it's and, before, and, before and before that, that on the yes, yeah, the on swaying the, of the uh, of the, the cable car, the cable car is mm. in rhythm as well. Like yeah. it's it's wonderful. Great. Yes, and I think the the point you make about there the 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 just um, kind of. Uh, distilled kind of awesomeness in this movie and the the, the 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 sheer saturation of this it feels like if if if, if this were a drink uh, you'd probably add water to it like, um, it, there is, 
And it, it's not like it didn't even feel like a like a short movie, as yeah. as, as I said. But it, it's so kind of. Um, I actually I, I, to go back to that again, not to make the podcast really long. I thought it it moves really fast, in large part because the characters and the score are always moving in unison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the the music, I don't think ever really stops. It's constantly no, doing the constantly. you know the constantly in the background, the constant rhythm. But you also have characters who, even when they're walking, like when Gustav is walking through the hotel, mm-hmm. even when he's interviewing mm-hmm. uh, Zero, he's still walking through the hotel doing concierge things yeah. the characters very rarely it's sit like still West Wing. yeah it is yeah. Like it's walk yeah. and talk I think the most still that anybody sits is, is when he's interviewing slash flirting with Agatha um, oh, I think yeah. that's probably the stillest scene in the mm. movie or the, with the dead dead lady yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but again she, she's dead even though she may look better than she has in years <laughs> I don't know what kind of green they put on her in the morgue but I want some yeah. <laughs> but there, there is there's he's so much with a corpse yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the, yeah. I like him a lot. Um, but yeah, and even like the, the Goldblum stuff where he comes in as the lawyer and he's like, it's Goldblum, so you expect a lot of mmm and awe, oh, but you get these really long monologues from Goldblum, yeah. which are like Goldblum esque, but without the mmm. Mm, uh, all the constant stopping and yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's like even in this, they look like a, a times two speed on Goldblum's delivery, and it's still Goldblum. Maybe that's mm. what they do. <laughs> <laughs> Editing is a powerful tool. Um, but even like, so the yeah. You sound different. <laughs> yeah. Speak speed deeper. I'm going to speed up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like when he has the pictures in the little exhibit and he's walking through the allegations that are being made and stuff, it's this lo- it is a long monologue, but it's a long monologue delivered by an actor who you don't necessarily historically associate with. Like long cinematic monologues, it's really yeah. good. Or even the bit where he has the little bit where he walks in with the briefcase full of documents and he lays it out in lawyer yeah. style. Uh, but again, there's not a lot of. Uh, mm, uh. I think this is why a lot of people just like working with Anderson because it gives, it's a different pace. Like yeah. everything mm-hmm. is fast paced. Yeah. Most all of his films, mm-hmm. and so again, you get somebody like Jeff Goldblum. He probably just jumping at the chance to go. Well, I don't have to omen ah my way through this one. I mean, yeah. Do you really ah. think? <laughs> I feel I feel like the Jeff Jeff, Jeff Goldblum um, arrives, and there's a certain amount of okay, um, you're getting Jeff Goldblum. And, Did and you just throw my theory out the window? <laughs> I just threw your theory out the window. I disagree. Like yeah. a cat on the yeah. side. <laughs> I didn't see anything. Um, what what is what did he say? Not agreed. <laughs> not agreed. <laughs> <laughs> and then the wonderfully pithy Jeff Goldblum responds, "So uh, not agreed." <laughs> <laughs> He's a person I often wonder how self-aware he is. He has to be. He has to be. I just wonder. Like, I mean, to listen to him speak at anything. He's He's signed up for Independence Day, too. There's a lot of self-awareness in that. He's very interesting. Just in that act. He's a great actor. He's just just so interesting. Uh, Very, he has to be self-aware. He can't be that mad. I don't think he knows how... I mean, I think... It does work. It depends what you mean by self-aware. Because I think he is his own person, but also realizes that he is his own person. And it's the same conversation we've just had about Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go on a talk show. Yeah, yeah. I'm going I'm to do something really weird. I'm going to talk. I'm going to change the pitch of my voice as often as I want. And like, <laughs> yeah. Does he do that? Does he know that he's doing that? Does he just do that because it's cute and we all love him? Yeah. Who cares? Love Jeff Goldblum. Am I Grant. the only one who finds Willem Dafoe kind of cuddly in this one? In this one? Yeah. <laughs> he... He throws a cat out a window, decapitates a sister, and implicitly is responsible for a series of other murders. 
I think he turns around to the screen at one point. Does he? <laughs> there's one, there's one barrel is the camera but, and gives him a wink. Yeah. There's just something surprisingly, I don't know, kind of in as platonic a way as possible, seductive about him. There's a point where he's talking to... Are you to, okay, Philip? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just remember this. Sort of like, what it's happened? a leather... It's, it's, it's pretty convenient. There's one point where he says to somebody, tell him Joplin says, come home. Yes, yeah. That made you feel cuddly? Yeah, cuddly, but just... Phil was like, I'm going to home to that. Like, yeah. I'm blaming the sugar. I've had one of these goddamn drinks. <laughs> I'm high as a freaking kite. Fancies. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Who's I, was over, were those, by the way? It's very clever. Uh, I may have stolen that from Charlene, actually, to be honest. The lighthouse screening, you did a little... Oh, did, yes. They had little sort of uh, oh, sugary treats. So, a screening of a Wes Anderson movie. Was this one of the ones with the dogs at it? Because no. all, all of them on a sugar high? I can't imagine. No, it's we don't get that. Dog sugar. <laughs> Bill, do you know nothing about organizing dog-friendly screenings? Yeah. No sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Rule one: yes. Starve them for a day after midnight. <laughs> Basically, I like all the actors in this movie, good and bad guys. Yeah, they are. It's a fantastic cast. It is, it's, and even the smaller bits. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Like you know the concierge at the Grand Budapest Hotel in 1962. Oh, sorry, not Mister Mr. Jean, who does the inappropriate smoking. Yeah, inappropriate Obliga- smoking. Obligatory 250. The trope. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but there is also the guy who manages the front desk. Was actually the guy who managed the front desk at the hotel where all the cast were staying. Oh. So they. <laughs> They would joke that when he was playing that extra role for the couple of days they were filming there, they'd walk down and see him in the exact same position in their own hotel. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. I like that. It is nice. I it do like nice. the... There, 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 there was a, a, a completely kind of uh, per, unnecessary, perfunctory um, Owen Wilson <laughs> yeah. appearance. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's the yeah. bit where, yeah, when they're shooting up the hotel, it's like, ah, ah. And you, can tell, you can tell that Edward Norton's like, please, I'm trying to be a serious Wes Anderson performer here. Um, yeah. God, put Owen Wilson and Jeff Goldblum in a room together. Ah, uh, ah, uh, 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 never leave. <laughs> wow. 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 Are they sitting on yeah. sofas together? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what happens when you shoot Jeff Goldblum's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they recorded Luke Wilson, sped it up, Luke and, and Owen dubbed Wilson. it. Uh, sorry, Owen Wilson sped it up and dubbed it over uh, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Don't, don't confuse your Wilsons. <laughs> confuse your Baldwin's, but not your Wilsons. I also, if we're, if we're praising actors very quickly, I loved Ed Norton in this. Yeah, actually, uh, Norton's one of those actors who surprises me by his versatility as an Anderson performer. Because before Moonrise Kingdom, I never would have had him pegged as an actor. Who would be comfortable in that movie? Well, they're really having some death to smoochie then. The yeah. <laughs> he's very straight up in this and straight laced. Yeah. Uh, well, he's he's the cuddly fascist, as I think we referred to him yes. earlier. Yeah, he's um, like the, the friendly face of fascism. Yeah. But he's like the he's like the friendly face of just organisation in the roles he's had in Anderson films so far. The like troop in, leader, like in uh, yeah, the troop leader in Moonrise Kingdom. He's the pack leader in like, the Normally, I, just, I associate Ed Norton with being kind of intense and possibly kind of deranged, and then suddenly Ooh. I see him saying lines like. Holy cow, he flew the coop. Yeah. <laughs> Aw. Or his, 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 his I misjudged his you. His Andersonian version of Tommy Lee Jones's speech from The Fugitive. Which oh, is, yeah. <laughs> which is a, another one of those, like, Anderson obviously referencing Wells and Hitchcock and all these other directors who influenced him. But it's also very clearly stealing from The Fugitive. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. He loves his 90s action movies, yeah. right? Like, he, he's referenced Heat, he's referenced The Fugitive, there's a reference to Witness in the Royal Tenenbaums, yeah. which I discovered recently, um, was actually a reference. 
um, when they see Royal sees Eli sort of lurking outside the house and he waves yeah. up at him he goes I know you <laughs> asshole which is what John Book shouts oh. in the, in the and garage. somehow Royal yeah. Tenenbaums got yeah. even better for Charlene uh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> this is the podcast brings everybody together it feels like yeah it feels like uh, Harvey Keitel is about to say let's let's not start something Harvey Keitel's in yeah. this and yeah yeah, yeah. Harvey Keitel in the Wiz Anderson movie. And, he, them, and again, as, as, Stacey, as Stacey pointed out, he plays the same character in Isle of Dogs. Yeah. As well. Oh no, that was Charlene. It's somebody, it was me, was it? Somebody said it. Somebody. Anyway, <laughs> he does. Somebody <laughs> played somebody. somebody. <laughs> we don't know who said what. I'm going to put the French fancies away. <laughs> yeah. no, we're just on the sugar. We are on the sugar. has <laughs> lost his friggin' mind. Darren somebody is making, making up astute critical <laughs> observations and crediting them to other people. Darren is the worst sort of person. He's yeah. packaging everything he has said and uh, giving it out to yeah, the Very people. generous. Very generous. Yes. <laughs> is, Remember when we were talking about aspect ratios? Yes. When Philip hadn't arrived yet, we were talking about it. Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so have you guys? Um, so is there anything else that you want to talk about with regards to the film? Nope. I'm done. Please. Uh... To quote another uh, Anderson character, let's shag ass. <laughs> Perfect. I guess the only thing left to do then is to pick the movie that we're going to cover next week. Now, we're going to... Random pick- number generator, <laughs> twist, twist, twist. Show us a movie on this list. And the movie is... Number. See, Andrew what just provides all the ambient <laughs> <laughs> noise. Number 61? Yeah, and that is. Django Unchained. Perfect. So we'll be Fantastic. covering. Fantastic. Flawless. That face. Philip has Philip, very Philip strong may feeling. not be a guest on the Jungle <laughs> Channel podcast. No, this no, may be no. a last minute rejigging of the of the thing. But oh, anyway, yeah. let's watch the trailer. There ain't no grace can hold my body down. There ain't no grace can hold my body down. Good cold evening, gentlemen. Amongst your inventory, I've been led to believe as a specimen I'm keen to acquire. When I hear the trumpet sound... What's your name? I'm on a rise right out of the ground. Django. Then you're exactly the one I'm looking for. Hey, stop talking to him. Calm down. I'm simply a customer trying to conduct a transaction. Last chance, fancy pants. Oh, very well. You kill people, and they give you a reward. Hmm. Better they are, bigger the reward. I need your help. I'm looking for the Brittle Brothers. However, I don't know what they look like, but you do. Don't you? They caught my wife, and they sold her, but I don't know who to. That means we visit every plantation until we find them. Once a final Brittle Brother lies dead in the dust, I agree to give you your freedom. And I'll take you to rescue your wife. Where are we going? Yes! Gentlemen, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. 
How do you like the bounty hunting business? Kill white folks and they pay you for it? What's not to like? I like the way you die, boy. He is a rambunctious sword, ain't he? <laughs> What's your name? Django. The D is silent. So, Django Unchained, opinions, people. Um, you've all seen this before. You've all seen it before. Yeah. 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 I'm guessing a lot of love in this room. For I have mixed feelings on Django Unchained. It's about forty minutes too long. Yeah, definitely. Um, An hour and forty minutes. <laughs> I think it. I think it dresses a lot of stuff that other things don't ever address. Like, I think that. Sure. Uh, yeah. Going back to the Samuel L. Jackson character, the institutionalization of that character is so dark and interesting, mm. and. It's really brave to put that out there. I think that was, it was really great. And I'm not, I'm, I'm a bit funny with Quentin Tarantino in general. Not really a huge fan of yoga. I was. <laughs> and then Django happened. No, no, no. Uh, uh, probably Inglorious Bastards, but I still like that quite a bit. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, hmm. So then Django happened. <laughs> and then Hateful Eight happened. Hateful yeah. Eight is a Don't leave eight. just yet. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm saying we, we, we got work to do. Andrew, yeah. um, have you seen it? I have not seen it. And um, I, hope, I hope I discuss the, the length of this movie <laughs> uh, when, when we eventually record. Because, of course, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on how long is it. How long is it? <laughs> It's a solid two hours and 40, if not three hours. Well, I'm sure if I enjoy it, then I won't find it too long. Um, <laughs> well, that's the Ebertian logic. Yeah, yeah a, a, a movie you like is never uh, long enough. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. With that in mind, guys, uh, where can we find you online? If people are looking for a bit more uh, Stacey, Charlene and Philip in their lives, where can they find some? Looking for more Philip, the poor things. <laughs> Get out more! You can't have any. Yeah. <laughs> All for me. <laughs> yeah. If you want more Philip, like, you're here. You're listening yeah. to Philip. And uh, you know what? My, my policy is I'm a great believer in real life activity. So come find me. Come talk to me. Say come hello. To Darren's I'm, house. I'm very friendly. I'm very friendly. I'm open to hugs. I love the idea that feels like, you know, the internet was too much for me. So I want you to hunt me down in real life. <laughs> Find yeah. me in my house. Yeah. yeah. My name is Philip Bagnell. How do you spell that? Do you have like a phone number? Or <laughs> Hashtag where, delete Facebook. Where, where, where can we find you physically? <laughs> <laughs> At any given time. Hmm. Uh, Charlene? Uh, well, I, you can find me mostly retweeting Lighthouse stuff on Twitter. <laughs> And if all else fails, can we find you at the Lighthouse? At the Lighthouse. Or in our new cinema, Palos, in Galway. You can also find me there. Oh, I've been calling it the Palace. Oh, it's Palos, there's fodders on it. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> Is this one you thing take, you can take away from this podcast? <laughs> I thought it was there's Swag Palos. Uh, and Stacey uh, uh, my article on Wes Anderson that I mentioned earlier on is going to be in the April edition of Sin Aaron and mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter too much at Silver Saint Rose perfect awesome. uh, Andrew you can follow me on the M50 you can uh, <laughs> until I turn off or <laughs> <laughs> on the 250 <laughs> uh, and I'm still on Twitter um, A-Q-U-I-N 
N-I-U-Q-A. Um, Not that even you have to think about it now for this question. <laughs> um, well, like, I, 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 I go on Twitter to kind of see what I said last and, <laughs> and see if I'm going to like it. Um, <laughs> um, and, yeah, the... the um, Add me as a friend on Facebook. <laughs> I, 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 I regret that. I, 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 I'll, 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 I'll look at it and I'll wonder who is this person and why do they like me as a friend on Facebook? And then I'll because delete you're the a request. Good person. Um, yeah, uh, Darren's touching me. Um, <laughs> just for the listener, it was, it was, it was. Welcome nice to the R-rated portion of the show. <laughs> yeah, two fifty after dark. How about your plugs, Darren? What do you want to plug this week? <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, you can find me online, Darren. I was going to make a joke there. I have I a, yeah. <laughs> PG-13, Phil, PG-13. Um, you can find me online at Darren underscore Mooney. I have a book out opening the X-Files. You can buy that online on Amazon or wherever good books are sold or find it in a public library. Um, you can also find uh, the podcast online at iTunes, Stitcher, wherever good podcasts are available or on SoundCloud. Or wherever you're listening to it. Physically right now. Or, um, or the, the movie blog. Yeah, the movie blog as well. I, I also run where I review films and television and stuff. But anyway, so take it easy, guys, and we'll be back next week when we talk about Django Unchained. Bye. 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 Bye.